Attention humans, this is a thunk tank. Please insert this podcast directly into your nearest orifice for viewing pleasure. Okay, you ready? Oh shit. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the thunk tank. Welcome to the Thunk Tank. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. There you go. Welcome. To, come into our. Come into our Thunk Tank. Luke, don't switch <laughs> to the other peanuts. <laughs> Welcome to the Thunk Tank. Come in the tank. We're thinking and we're thinking <laughs> and we're thunked. And we're thunked. Oh my god, I'm probably more beer than man if we go far enough back at this point. I have never seen a more sublime demonstration of the totalitarian mind, a mind which might be linked unto a system of gears where teeth have been filed off at random. Such snaggle-toothed thought machine, driven by a standard or even a substandard libido, whirls with the jerky, noisy, gaudy pointlessness of a cuckoo clock in hell. The dismaying thing about classic totalitarianism Uh, classic totalitarian mind is that any given gear, thought mutilated, will have at its circumference unbroken sequences of teeth that are immaculately maintained, that are exquisitely machined. Hence the cuckoo clock in hell, keeping perfect time for 8 minutes and 23 seconds, jumping ahead 14 minutes, keeping perfect time for 6 seconds, jumping ahead 2 seconds, keeping perfect time for 2 hours and 1 second, then jumping ahead a year. The missing teeth, of course, are simple, obvious truths. Truths available and comprehensible even to 10-year-olds, in most cases. The willful filing off of a gear teeth, the willful doing without certain obvious pieces of information. That was how my father-in-law could contain in one mind an indifference towards slave women and love for a blue vase. That was how Rudolf Hess, commandant of Auschwitz, could alternate over the loudspeakers of Auschwitz great music, and calls for corpse carriers. That was how Nazi Germany sensed no important difference between civilization and hydrophobia. That is the closest I can come to explaining the legions, the nations of lunatics I've seen in my time. And that's by Kurt Vonnegut from the novel Mother Night. And so, welcome. Joe, (laughs) guess why I'm mad about that? Why? I brought, like, two Kurt Vonnegut quotes. And that's one of them? that was one of the passages, yeah. (laughs) It's a great quote. It's one though. of the best ones. Actually, the, the, although I did include, I cut it like some of the middle stuff. I cut some of the middle stuff and too. And I include um, at, at the very end of that, it goes, But never have I willfully destroyed a tooth of my thinking machine. Never have I said to myself, This fact I can do without. And then the chapter ends with That's um, nice. Howard W. Campbell Jr. praises himself. There's life in the old boy yet. And where there's life, there's life. Yeah. I think that says a lot of what's going on. That's from Mother Night. With his writing. That? Yeah. Welcome to the Thunk Tank. So a little bit different this episode. We're, <laughs> we're doing deep. We're, we're, we're doing a, a bit of a, a sort of different specific vibe, kind of focusing on uh, one author in particular that I think we all have at least read some of and I think we appreciate in different ways. And it's just worth sharing because I think a lot of what he says or what he said in his writing 
you know, going back now, um, you know, he's, his first book was published in the early 1950s, I think. But yep. even that... This one, I think, 59 or 62 th- this, or This one, yeah. This was before some of his uh, more, you know, famous books that put him on the, the charts. But I think a lot of these messages are increasingly more relevant. Like, he was very speculatively on point in that sense. So I think it's really interesting to talk about and see, you know, as we talk about some of these other quotes that I, uh, you know, I've compiled and, and maybe you have and just ideas from books you've read, how they really, um, they've come to fruition, uh, you yeah, know, he had, much he like he sort of predicted. On, on humanity. Yeah, for sure. So we'll get into all that shit, but as usual, yeah. let's start with like uh, the beer we're drinking. Yeah. Any, any vibes? To yeah, Johnny, how you doing? Front? We got uh, Johnny here. Hey, hey, kids. Um, I'm <laughs> What's drinking, going on? I'm drinking a pretty dope beer. I, I have a question, but let's introduce the beers first, and then I sure, yeah. ask my question. Absolutely. Um, so I'm drinking a, a special release beer from High Branch Brewing mm-hmm. uh, in North Carolina. It's an imperial stout called Yucatan. Bam. Ooh, Yucatan Peninsula. It was aged on peppers, vanilla beans, and cinnamon sticks. And uh, how the fuck do you? Uh, what do you put the cinnamon stick in? Do you grind it up? How does that work? No, oh, it's pr- the sticks. Yeah, you probably just throw the sticks in the, fer- <laughs> the fermenter for a few days. Oh, okay. The peppers. The peppers is harder to get because like. A pepper is di- one pepper is different than another pepper, so to try to make beer with oh, it sure. and get what you right. want is very difficult. It's but this is really light. At its core. The, the pepper is really light and it's very balanced. Very good beer. Wait, is it, it's pepper like uh, like black pepper, not like spicy pepper, right? No, it's I've aged. On, it's aged on hot peppers, but yeah. you really only oh, taste. It is. You get like, the slightest tingle in the back of your throat. You don't get any heat from it because of the cinnamon and the vanilla bean. Right, so that it balances out. That's like remember that time we had that. Uh, it was something like that, like a habanero. Like habanero peppers in it, but it was, it was I forget so the bad. beer, but it was so overpowering that yeah. I, I remember it wasn't the balanced. waitress at the restaurant we were at even like came over. She was like, oh, she you shouldn't have gotten that beer. She's like, I'm just going to throw this away. I'll bring you a new one for free. Yeah. Like, yeah, it was <laughs> I pretty. Mean, she regularly gave us free stuff. Anyways, it, it's really yeah. hard to uh, dose the, the, the spice just right. It was yeah. not, it was not balanced. And they that were was probably definitely like, the problem. Yeah, fuck it. Let's put the beer out anyways. Yeah. She was like probably like oh, I was gonna give him free beer anyways. Do I have a Canadian accent now. Oh man, Did I just say oh, beer oat? maybe. What are you What are you talking about? That came up last episode. Yeah, no, we I like, had. Well, it was a southern thing last time. Well, you tried an Icelandic accent, and that also turned that into a funny. southern accent. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so, all right. So, Johnny, have you heard of Radiant Pig? Uh, that's the brewery. Yeah, Radiant Pig craft beers. Where um, Where are they? They're pretty small. They're like somewhere in New York. Um. I, I went on their website and the website said like it's currently down. So, <laughs> but huh. I just found uh, this beer. I've had another one of their beers before. The one we're drinking is called No Half Steppin'. It's a single hop IPA. Um, it's coming in at like seven percent. It's, it's nice. very citrusy. It's, it's very Have almost. Have you heard of Denali hops, Johnny? Denali, yeah. They're Denali. Very... Mm-hmm. They're a pretty new hop. Uh, so is that make sense that we're getting like? Like very citrusy, bright kind of. Yeah, it's almost acidic. like I was telling Luke. It's almost like lemony, almost. Yeah, linalool, which is cool. Like uh, it's not my favorite type of of juicy vibe in a beer. I, I feel like it would be a better. Uh, I think on citrus the hops are better um, type beer. Citrus, like because it citrus hops can get some of that deeper. Yeah. Like, but sweet this notes. this isn't a winter beer this, to me. Like I I rather it be hot. Like beer, if yeah. I was sitting on the porch and it was like really hot and I wanted an IPA. I, I would probably be down yeah, with this. You get yeah. the lemonade vibe. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, we've sure. also got a few other beers here, folks, so we'll we'll cue you in when we're opening them. Yeah, um, I tried to get some Vonnegut-themed beers, uh, which I'll explain later, I guess. What because the hell that might mean? It, because it doesn't really mean much of anything, but there is some sort of connection. Right. He did have uh, some sort of beer roots, according to my research. I just assume everybody did. cool that I read or see like also likes beer. I just assume that's a cool person's thing to do. Yeah, or, or they like the vibe that beer brings out, maybe. So maybe, you know, they, right, right. maybe they're like a, a scotch person. Or maybe they're or more like, naturally like that. No, that's what I mean. Yeah. Or, or maybe they just drink, you know, wine or cocaine or, you know, whatever else. And that brings out the... Yeah, but the World War the II vibe. crowd, the, they were big beer drinkers when they came back. Because they, they, they had Checks to... Out. After Prohibition and all that shit, it was like, hey, we got beer back. And then during the war, they were like, they were like ah, you can't really make good beer anymore. Here, you can make Bud Light. And they were like, they uh. came back and they're like, yeah, it's cheap, though. And uh, I don't have to talk about these dark feelings inside, so let's just have a beer. Yeah, they were, <laughs> yeah. They were a big beer crowd. Right, yeah. they didn't have a, a good PTSD, like, uh, right. net to catch that. And you just drank beer and got over it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, mental health services, not as much. And World War II actually pops right back into the Vonnegut theme. For sure, yeah. Um, before we get right into Vonnegut, I was just telling you guys off air about uh, a news item I read this week about a new nuclear weapon that Russia has. Oh, um, yeah. Tell us about that. It's called that. Canyon. It's designed <laughs> to attack like coastal areas, cities, ports, whatever. It's a mega bomb. It would... Um, not only destroy the city, but also generate an artificial tsunami that would surge inland and spread the radioactive materials of the bomb. And the bomb is also said to be like, quote unquote, salted. You know, they throw in cobalt 60, the radioactive yeah, isotope throw it in. of cobalt. Yeah. Um, why not throw it in and make the city not inhabitable for 100 years? Or a thousand years. Which is what it would be. Yeah. And it's about. Ah, but I, the main I, thing is it doesn't destroy the city, right? It'll just make it uninhabitable. <laughs> for a hundred years, so you, in a hundred years, you could just move in and be like, "Hey, look, all the uh, all the buildings are empty. Let's start." Uh, what good does that do me, though? Are you a crazy Russian oligarch trying to expand his power? I guess that's why I'm not. Yeah, there you so, go. So I just figured, starting with that like story of the of this <clears throat> nuke in, in in the year 2018, it ties into the sort of worldliness and like the yeah. types of worries Vonnegut had. Yeah. Uh, I do have like. You just, want to start us off with like a bio kind well, of. I do yeah, have a, who's, a very who, brief. Who is bio this Vonnegut thing. guy? A lot of people probably don't yeah. know who the fuck we're talking about. Yeah, so I I just have maybe like uh, three or four minutes of just like kind of some background information yeah, yeah, that that definitely um, ties into a lot of the themes that are going to come up with some of the points that you know we're already noticing about. If him. If a lot of people read him in high school, what book do you think it would be? Slaughterhouse Five. Yeah. Yeah. So you you might have sure. read him in high school and not even realized it. Yeah. But. This is Kurt Vonnegut. Take it away, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's interesting you say that about reading him in high school because I every uh, the first day of every semester I have students interview each other to just kind of get them talking and get them working together. Yeah. And one of the questions is is who's your favorite author? And I also do the questions and you know, usually I'll I'll say whoever I'm reading at the time who I really like, but oftentimes I'll say Kurt Vonnegut because he's definitely, you know, up there with my favorite authors. And um, I would say probably, you know, out of a class of 20-something students, maybe one of them has read Kurt Vonnegut on average. Like, maybe one. That's less than I thought. It's less than I thought, too. So I think he's, uh, he's less read than a lot of people might think. <laughs> um, 
just because just based on like what I've what I've seen and I think even more people probably like you said maybe read them in high school but <laughs> you know a lot for a lot of people like do they really remember the books they read in high school that's sort of that's, hard, a, you know? that's a big part of it and yeah. also he had some problems with his books being banned in some oh places. for sure yeah, yeah. slaughterhouse five include or, yeah, yeah, or yeah. slaughterhouse five maybe primarily so just a few notes about Vonnegut in case you don't know much about him um, I mean the one thing I'll say starting off is uh, and again I'm you know, I teach writing, but I'm I'm certainly no scholar of uh, Vonnegut. Um, oh, stop! Or, or most anything else. <laughs> no, I just mean like I don't have like a degree that says like, oh, you did research on Vonnegut for you know five years. Let me years just and... give Joe's disclaimer for him. Yeah, he loves reading Vonnegut. He is a writer and a writing teacher, but he probably just had beer this week and like thought about why he likes Vonnegut. Right. And, and you're trying to plus, say you didn't do a dissertation pl- on Vonnegut. Plus Internet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they, Luke basically nails it. Um, but that's so, a good disclaimer for our whole podcast, by the way, for all of us. Like, listen, folks, <laughs> we're not like academic researchers who are like coming at you with the most badass cutting edge knowledge. We're but just we're, like three guys who drink beer and like absorb knowledge, which is honest. <laughs> Yeah, All right, so, I, I thought I had a thought while raking the leaves. That's that's our <laughs> our in depth uh, research. By raking the leaves and having a beer. That's actually a great title for something: a book, a memoir. Like I had a thought while raking the leaves. It, it's it's a little uh, who's it? Walt uh, Whitman, Leaves of Grass. No, that's everything's my, copyrighted it, on this that podcast. Was my, right? That was my book of poetry I was writing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh really? Yeah. You should probably not just spout. It's the a thou- title It's out. a thousand. Uh, the subtitle I could give out too. It's a thousand and one uh, poems. Uh, Inspired by restaurant condiments and packets. Okay, but there's we'll a, look forward there, to seeing that. there's a couple yeah. of colons in there and semicolons. I'll, I'll send you guys the artwork. Oh, semicolons come up in this. There's there's a lot of things that we're planting seeds semicolons, for. Yeah, oh man. Oh, you know that quote? Yeah. yeah. I I don't think I have that, but I have another uh, colon quote. Cool. But anyways. All right. Let's give the folks some uh, some background some information. Background, yeah. So, uh, like I was saying, I um, in just my reading adventures. Um, I kind of equate, loosely equate Vonnegut um, as sort of the 20th century version of Mark Twain, where in the sense that he's very witty, he's very satirical in a lot of ways, he's very um, not afraid to say like what the emotion is he's trying to say to relate that emotion. Um, So I think he kind of feels like a a similar um, pattern of of just writing style in that sense. niche, similar niche. Yeah, similar niche, definitely. but obviously, Kurt Vonnegut, um, you know, whereas Mark Twain was 19th century, he was a 20th century writer, Mark Twain. So he was born in uh, 1922. He actually died uh, fairly recently, only in 2007. Um, and as per, you know, when he was born, he did serve in World War II. Yep. Um, he actually went to Cornell, I, I read, uh, but he dropped out when he, um, when he, uh, you know, World War II happened. He actually also studied... It was a grades thing, too, I think, right? No, I, I don't, actually, I don't know about that, but because I know that he did study uh, mechanical engineering at Carnegie Mellon while he was in the Army, though, too. Oh. Did uh, did that war, uh, I know in Vietnam, a way to avoid the draft was to enroll in college. Yes, yeah. that, that, that was part of it, and, was and that he knew also... he would be drafted, I think, when he dropped out of college. Well, a lot of people would do that. They would join so that they had more of a choice yeah, of what yeah. they wanted to do, which is maybe what... I, I don't know if that's what he did, but he certainly, you know, didn't go through the normal rounds. But he know. was exempt from it because he was in college before that. Right. Yeah. So uh, Vonnegut, while he was in the uh, in the army, he was uh, captured. He was actually a POW after the Battle of the Bulge, Damn. and he 
what's interesting is a lot of his work is, um, I wouldn't even call it pseudo-autobiographical, but there's certainly biographical, autobiographical elements. And the perfect example of that is... Sometimes explicitly, right? Sometimes explicitly, yeah. Especially in his later works, uh, like Timequake is a great example, where Timequake is basically, like, I would say 40% of it is fiction, and the other 60% is him just kind of narrating that, oh, yeah, I'm Vonnegut, I'm, like, 70 years old, I can publish whatever I want. Uh-huh. This is a book that didn't work, so I'm just going to fill in the gaps by rambling. It's pretty great, actually. That's funny. But, um... He, so, went, he went a little Orson Wellesy at the end there, right? Where he's yeah, like, no, I, I sh- or Brando. He just like I, I could just show up and people are impressed. He, he yeah, he's like I'll publish and, and people will people will do it. You know, people will read it. So, um, the whole thing with getting captured during World War II was he survived the firebombing of Dresden uh, because they had all the POWs in a meat locker called Slaughterhouse Five. Right. And that's actually a scene, or that's a, a big element from Slaughterhouse Five. There's uh, what the main character is is in that slaughterhouse, and that's how he survives. And he's I, surviving in all these carcasses while the city it's, burns. It's pretty him. dark. Can I mention yeah. too that uh, the the actual historical bombing of Dresden was so bad. Not only did very few people in the city survive, uh, like he might yeah. have known them all. It is. It was such a big fireball that it sucked in so much oxygen as the city was burning that people right. living in the outskirts died of suffocation that the fire oh, didn't I, touch. Asphyxiation. Like yeah. animals in the in the woods got asphyxiated because the draft was just so strong, and the pulling heat the oxygen in. upward. And so yeah. if you, you yeah. so really the only way to survive would be to be in a sealed meat locker, and you're risking using up the oxygen you have in there. Right. But right. it's better than burning a lot. So any. Uh, you know, I think hiding in a basement probably didn't help, or you know, thinking you're in a bunker right. wouldn't right. help. Something but, that seals like literally, as well as meat yeah. and, and, and how ironic seals. a slaughterhouse. That's... Yeah, and in the '40s, what what sealed as well as a meat locker besides a meat locker? Right. You know. Right. Right. So, and and to your point, Johnny, the way the one quote that I took down for describing the scene is how he describes it in Slaughterhouse Five when he gets out of, um, or when the main character gets out of the uh, the slaughterhouse and. It's very simple description, but it says it all. He just says it was like the moon. Mm, yeah, which is just like, right. oh, if I wanted to describe something as utterly uninhabitable as possible, it's yeah. like moon's pretty good and and foreign and alien, just yeah. dust what and ash this? and yeah, yeah. nothing yeah. earth like. Just about matter it. returned to its more basic form. Yeah, just not even close to conducive Damn. to life. So, cool. anyways, <laughs> um, so he survived all of that, Kurt Vonnegut. So he, I by mean, the way, he was only twenty. Too, he was when young. That shit was going yeah, down. he was young. Yeah, and and he survived it all, and he came back, um, and he started he started writing. So in his life, he published uh, I think fourteen full length novels. He was uh, a big writer of of essays, and uh, he wrote short stories too. So he wrote lots of things, but um, he uh, you know he's primarily known for his novels. His first one, Player Piano, uh, wasn't a huge success. Um, that's, so good. That's, that's one we'll probably get into. I think we have some quotes from that. Yeah, that's um, a good one. And, and actually, some of his other books, which are some of his best books, like Mother Night and Cat's Cradle, I think those were both before Slaughterhouse-Five, which kind of became his seminal work. Like, that's kind of his, you know, the one that people people read. Well, that's as, also the one that got him attention, right? That was the one that, that really got him on the map. Like, it went to the top of the, you know, New York Times bestseller list and all that type of stuff. So... Uh, and he just kept writing from there. Uh, a couple of things about his personal life, which I thought were interesting. Uh, he was married twice. Uh, he had three children, but he also adopted his sister's three sons after 
she died of cancer two days after her husband died in a train crash, which is very Vonnegut-esque. The timing, the weirdness. Yeah. By the way, you know, a Vonnegut-esque thing, if I can go back to when he was 22 again, um, he came back from being a POW and um, had the um, got married, right? Mm-hmm. He also went to visit, right? it was before the war, actually, I think, like three months before he went to Europe, he mm-hmm. went to visit his mom on Mother's Day and found her dead because she had killed herself the night before. How did I not read that? That's that's fascinating. That's so Vonnegut-y too, you know? It's so, and we should clarify when we say Vonnegut-y, and, and this is probably part of the other quotes and just some about what, what we'll talk about with his writing, um, he's, he's all about trying to not even make sense of the chaos, I don't think, but kind of smirk at it be okay with it yeah. like come to terms with the chaos right and, and you see that in in these exact you know in anecdotes a comedic way like he it's found like his it's mom like darkly comedic Mother's Day, yeah like, of all days like yeah that's almost comedic but that happened to him you know yeah because because it's ironic and irony is is a sort of comedy in itself yeah. despite how dark it is maybe and it's truthful it's true and this is what he, his writing's all about i mean his writing isn't all about like necessarily things all that dark like as dark as that but there are elements of it throughout his writing of that yeah that's a big theme for he sure he always keeps that in view yeah um so yeah you said his sister died and sh- and then he adopted all her kids yeah so he wound up with like this you know this this big family and you know he for up until slaughterhouse five from from everything i've read you know he was really a, a struggling writer um but you know he worked and he just kind of made it work he made it happen and once Slaughterhouse Five took off uh, and his other, you know, works became popularized, um, you know, he focused more on his writing from from there. So, um, and and that was basically the rest of his career up until you know his death uh, about ten years ago now. And uh, you know, in his, I, 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 the last thing I'll say just about the bio stuff is that, you know, it's it, what a mind to like. If only he had been around like another ten years, like the past ten years. I would years. want to hear his comments on like now. Yeah, because yeah. he he had some scathing commentary and essays that he wrote about the Iraq War. That and was like Bush, yeah, yeah, because he was you know he had stuff to say about the Vietnam War and and obviously Slaughterhouse Five uh, was published in nineteen sixty nine, which is you know right in the thick of it. I think he got very popular because he was riding the wave of anti war. It in that it, period, it, it you know? kind of it kind of coincided. Yeah, yeah, for sure, and. You know, the last uh, big push he had ag- against a lot of these repeating ideas was the war in Iraq. I mean, you, you, if you read some of the stuff he writes about Iraq, like stuff that, you know, people who kind of saw what was going on. Yeah. Like he called it right from the start, you know, just like no hesitation. Well, he, he didn't need like leaked CIA papers or whatever to figure out people's right. motives. He was just like, no, this is a war. Like somebody's benefiting from it. Uh, right. If you pay attention, you could kind of figure it out. Yeah, maybe I'll just say uh, along those along those lines. One of the uh, one of the quotes that uh, he said. Oh, I actually didn't write it down, but I think I know it by heart. About the the Bush era was. I never thought I'd live uh, to find myself in a time where the three most powerful people in the world were Bush, Dick, and Colin. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a great one. I remember that. Yeah. And it's just like, how did I not fucking think of that? That's so. Well, that's it. That's just as ironic as finding your dead mom on Mother's Day. It's just like. It's just it's it's, like w- what a crazy world. But he was he was so good at pointing that out. You know yeah, what I mean? It's, like, it's yeah. about not taking that stuff personally and being able to just recognize when the universe fucks with you like that. 
Yeah. Like, oh. Well, remember a couple episodes ago, I, I tried to tell that story of the guy who was coming home from the movies and weird shit happened to him and he thought, like, the universe was winking at him? Oh, yeah, that's right. It's almost right. like Vonnegut's vibe is, like, the universe winks at you through the suffering it throws at you, you know? Right. And, and whatever that means, like, I don't, I don't think he ever gives an answer on, like, what the universe is. He doesn't, but he asks honest questions yeah. about it and poses... He's, he was definitely an atheist. Well, he was at, at, I think that's another thing I should have mentioned was that he was actually president of, I, I believe it's called the Humanist Society. Yeah. And I think he even, I, I, did he describe himself as an atheist or an agnostic? Because I think he was an atheist who just didn't really care. I think that's what, a, okay, that's, let's, because I think technically I'm an atheist. And all that means is you're atheistical. It doesn't mean I don't I go out of my way to try to disprove or not believe exactly. in God. I, I'm I just not, I'm don't, not saying that. I though. just don't care. That's so I, if you're agnostic but you don't care, you're really no, no, an no. atheist. But but I think so. I think atheist just means I don't assume there is a God, but I will um I will approach that aspect of my life with the same scrutiny I wait, do any wait. other aspect. I, I have a question about that, though, because I, I understand what you're saying, and, and I think it's a fair critique against people who assume that because you're atheist, you are anti-religion or something like that, which I don't think or is... Or that you're, you believe in no God just as strongly as they might believe in God. Well, no, but that's, but, that's, but that's my question, because uh, my understanding is, th and again, I, I don't know if this, is, if this is accurate, but my understanding is... That's the difference between an atheist and an agnostic. An atheist. I think now it is. Yeah. Is it? I think that that definition has changed because because there are a people sect of atheism that's so ironically like strong and bound together that it feels very religious. Well, those but are that, the those are the militant atheists like yeah. Dawkins. But that's my point. Why yeah. would? But why wouldn't you just? Why wouldn't you just categorize it as atheists or people who believe that? Uh, yes, we don't believe that there's a god, whereas agnostics believe that. Uh, I equally yeah. so don't want to say. So I guess what say. I was trying to say is, in 2018 terms, Kurt Vonnegut would be agnostic. But yeah. at the time, I think atheism I didn't saying, have yeah. this like militant aspect to it. So well, I'm not even saying considered it's considered an atheist in yeah. that like it was like the kind of people in the 70s and 80s where they could be like, yeah, I don't need there to be a god. But I, to, I like, think there's, cool I think life. there's still a difference between militant atheism and just like because I can think. If I think that, all right, there is not a God, that's different than me thinking that there is not a God. And I, it's, it is my, you know, journey in life to disprove that to other people. That's still a different vibe, right? Yeah, yeah. That's For almost, sure. and hilariously, it's just like the religion side. Exactly. It's kind of like yeah. your, um, what's the word? Proselytizing atheist. Proselytizing. I like that word. I mean, um, it's a good word. Where you go missionary. Johnny, I'm sorry, it's, it's pronounced Johnny, prostating. It's actually, I was just going to say that. Damn it. I was going to say it's called prostatizing. Prostating? Um, Prostatizing. Prostating. Uh, so I, I, I think Kurt Vonnegut speaks in a way that's very, like, like open to anything. That's why he wrote yeah. about such fantastical, like, universe things. Well, well his, like, that's, that's another point. Just, just to sorry, just to mention again, uh, I forget what book I was reading of his, but he mentions, it's it's actually, I think it might have been Timequake, I forget though, but it's uh, it's certainly autobiographical where he talks about, I believe his first wife, I, I'm not sure exactly, but um, how she was very religious. I think she was Catholic or Presbyterian or something, but she was very religious and it made her so happy that he basically says in his analysis that, you know, he doesn't know or really care, but he likes that religion because it makes her so happy. It yeah. gives her such happiness. And that's important to him in that sense. So, Fair enough. Yeah. You know. Um, but what, what were you saying, Johnny? 
Uh, I wanted to go back to talk about the Iraq war protest because I, I just think <laughs> it's interesting fair. that, you know, a lot of people, maybe younger people don't didn't know who he was later in his life. Uh, sure. So it's just, you know, you can imagine him. I've read some of the stuff he said about the Iraq war, and I could just see like somebody that was very pro war at the time being like, oh, this guy doesn't support America or his troops. And it's like he got he got firebombed at Dresden. You know, yeah, right. he has some some credibility. Uh, but I think the re- and I just think that's why his approach, like we've been defining, is why it, his stuff is still relevant. Is the same reason Twain is relevant. Uh, yeah, and some other point. writers going further back is they write about actual people, uh, right. rather than you know specific events going on at the time. Like Slaughterhouse Five isn't about the geopolitical struggle of war. It's about like the individual of the human fitting into these big, bigger moving parts, and like where are you really? <laughs> in it yeah yeah that's interesting you say that because like on its surface almost like a book like slaughterhouse five it it does read uh sort of like oh it's about um you know war and aliens or something if you just read it at like a totally superficial level which is what i think i did when i read that and sirens of titan in high school yeah especially sirens of titan it's easy to miss the some of the deeper shit in sirens of titan well it becomes it becomes about this idea of like individualism right or like individual identity so i i read it in high school and and obviously i i understood the plot in high school i started rereading it just this week i i only got like like maybe 30 percent into the book or so and then it it basically came back to me what what was the main character's name constant Um, Constant Malachi. Malachi Constant. Malachi Constant. Yeah. Um, and it, it. Great character. I don't know. Should we spoil things? Should we just give a spoiler alert on plot points? Are we going to get into anything like that? <sighs> That's a good question. I mean, is there a way to do it where we don't spoil? Like, it's not a. Spo- we say spoiler. Spoil. Uh, I don't think anybody would alert. be spoiled by by. But I mean, Vonnegut without saying, if, we're not if, talking about Game of Thrones. But Vonnegut, no, no. Vonnegut books like it shouldn't be like about. Oh, Spoiling. I can't believe this happened to that character. Like if you. It, it, if you can't enjoy the book because you know where it's going, you should be reading a different book. I agree with that, yeah. okay, especially so, especially with alert, But also, you even if you haven't read the books we're talking about, you, you can safely listen, and it would probably only intrigue you to read it. Let, let, me, let me tell you this. If you want to spoil any, uh, I'll post, I guess, no, I'm not going to post what Vonnegut books I read. I don't care that much. But <laughs> if you want to comment on Vonnegut books yourself on the podcast and spoil them for me because I haven't read all of them, you can you do can that as revenge. That yeah, yeah, that's fine. So yeah. go ahead, Luke. Uh, spoil away. Spoiler alert. Okay, officially. So I, I think um, uh, in Sirens of Titan, the, the basic realization by the end is that Earth and all of us on it are some aliens, like um, an alien spaceship broke down and needed a special part made, and they realized the right. only way they can make it this far from home is to like make a planet like evolve into intelligent life enough to be technological and then make the part for them right and they would just like subtly control yeah. things to make that happen yeah to get to that point and or... you know they're aliens so they can wait a few like hundreds well, of thousands but i think they're robot aliens too yeah. they're like cyborgs at that the point time so doesn't like... matter it's just like if it's you know, it's just quicker this. yeah oh well it'll take two million years to go back it'll only take a million years to turn these monkeys into humans so we'll just exactly, do that yeah. one yeah right yeah I'll just live on Titan for a while. But but just rereading the beginning of, of Sirens of Titan, one of my favorite Kurt Vonnegut type things, it's almost like this like like mystical like buzz comes over your head once you start settling into a Vonnegut world because he starts throwing like weird details at you without fully explaining them. Mm-hmm. And like you yeah. just find yourself like kind of like like somebody like turned you upside down. What's and it like, Luke? And right? And then when you stand back like? up, you're like, 
uh, it's sort of like a hazy, pinky, starry, like, what's it like? Lobby, like, like, what's it like? I don't know. I just feel like I'm in space. Yeah. Sorry. No, you said like it, a lot. It, well, you, you kept saying, what's it like? So I kept saying, it's I, like. I know, because you, <laughs> you were stuck in a like loop. <laughs> a like loop loop? Which you is were making you get a... stuck in when you read Vonnegut. It's like a like loop of like, you know, you're spinning in space and you can't find up. Well, it's kind of like a mind adventure almost when you read his work. Rollercoaster, yeah. And, and one thing I'll say, if you haven't read his work, um, definitely try it out because it's. What would you recommend as like a, a, a key in? Well, first of all, his books aren't difficult to read in the sense that most of them aren't that long, honestly. Yep. So you can get into them pretty easily. You can read them pretty quickly. And I, I think if you really just kind of, uh, you know, are open to a, maybe a different message than what you've heard, you can get a lot out of it. So, I mean, in terms of books to start with, sort of depends, I think, on on what you're into going in. But I think, you know, I think Player Piano is not a bad one to start with. It's his first one. It's not his best one, but it's still pretty good. And I think particularly the message in it about, like, the, the value of, like, human labor and human work is, is it, it resonates even stronger today than it did in the 50s. Um, so he, that might be a good one to start with. That's the one. Yeah. So that's one I've actually read. So I, I would vote for that one to talk about. <laughs> yeah. But well, no. Yeah. What, what do you What do you think about that, Johnny? I, I think that's a good one to start with, right? Yeah, I read it, and I remember thinking it was really good, but it it wasn't an original, I premise so much, and reading about it, googling about it. I forget who, but somebody accused him of stealing it from Orwell or Huxley in one of his stories. He goes, yeah, totally ripped off that specific story. But when I was researching that story, yeah. they ripped it off from this Russian like writer also. So, yeah, I can yeah. rip off a ripoff. Fuck you. But, yeah, right. uh, that checks out. There's a quote from game uh, uh, Player Piano that uh, I think is more relevant today. So, like we were there talking about the timeless of it. Sure. Those who live by the electronics die by electronics. Six Semper Tyrannis. It's fucking wow. bad. Who in the 50s could have called that, you know? Wow. Yeah. Talk about uh, Jesus. Here's another player. As, as, as Luke says by reading his off his cell phone. Right? Yeah. And we're exactly. all communicating. Electronics. Yeah. Um, I want to stand as close to the edge as I can without going over. Out on the edge, you see all kinds of things you can't see from the center. That oh, was a, shit. That, that so was another. Joe just had that quote. That, that was the next quote I was gonna I, say. I have that one written down we too. All, like, yeah. Pick out the same quotes. You wrote it down too. <laughs> yeah, we all have Goodreads. It's, it's great. Uh, <laughs> we all we're all on Goodreads. Yeah. Uh, but so let's we're just either the... all equally kind of dumb or. Yeah. Well, for any listeners that are out there, if you're not on Goodreads already, like, share, and subscribe. Go ahead, Johnny. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. Uh, <laughs> the, just quickly, player piano. If anyone doesn't know what an actual player piano is, it's those pianos that have. Uh, like a music box device in it and the keys play themselves right. when you crank it up so it, it looks like it's you know it's playing it plays on its own you can pretend to play the music but really the piano's doing it mm-hmm. um, so he wrote a story where there's really no jobs left everything's been automated and about three percent of the workforce are the engineers that like maintain and design these devices and factories and the vast majority of people are just doing public works jobs to keep them busy because mm-hmm. just things are good enough that well, no one the, starves, but nobody has anything really. And the public works program, you're either in the reeks or the wrecks, and yeah. one 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 group digs holes, I think, and the other group fills them fills in. Fills them right? in, yeah. No, you yeah. dig ditches, so you have to dig, dig a ditches, ditch from yeah. like New York City to Albany, and then the other crew comes in and fills it. Yeah, just to keep you, you busy. Yeah, 
Well, it's this idea. They can't just give it away without any work, right? Well, so it's you, like it's like then what do you do with yourself? Like if yeah, you well, that's what they would worry about. They would worry about people sitting with so much free time, right? And, and like maybe thinking through things. And that becomes a political uh, like way you know, to control people's thinking, right? Yeah. And, and the, I think the, that that's sort of what breaks down in the novel. Yeah, because the main character is one of these engineers, but he has this romanticized right. idea of buying a farmhouse and retiring and living on the land, right? And, like, being a Reeks and Rex guy, but with meaningful uh, stuff coming out, basically, like, whoa, man, well, I can make all my... Well, the work he does will pay off, right? Yeah, and, and but it's it, even he, several times in the novel, admits it's an absurd pipe dream that's not going to happen, but he's working towards it. And uh, I think a lot of people feel, felt that way then, but more so now that, because it, it's harder to check out of our like you can't be like i don't like this whole consumer debt-based fractional right. banking system i i just i have can i just take my money and check out and buy a piece of land and get left alone it's like no not really you you know yeah. you could do that for a they're, couple they're of years but you. yeah you're gonna you can't get away from it and right um yeah so yeah player uh, piano is really relevant i think that's to, like, I, I think that's a good because that's coming yeah self-driving cars getting rid of like well it's already here all the truck yeah. drivers in the country it's Imagine already, that. it's know? already here and it's one of again so it's one of those messages about like you know in in what he was writing about at the time is this idea of like you know the value of one's own ability to sort of work and contribute and it, it's just one of those themes in his writing that becomes or has become more and more and more relevant as the the years have gone by and, and what's interesting too you see it like at different stages i think one of his later uh maybe one of his last fiction novels galapagos i think i gave you did i give you a copy of that you haven't you gave me sirens of titan so yeah. i'm gonna give that back to you yeah and then you give me galapagos but galapagos not to spoil it but he has this uh <laughs> he, spoiler alert no he has this um not to spoil it but to spoil it he has this uh there's this device in it i forget what it's called like it sounds like multivac, but it's not because that's the Isaac. confundulum or something. I forget. It's, it's like multi something, and it's basically like an like a kind of like a, a an early like internet like tablet, and he doesn't describe it that way because that didn't exist in the like you know mid eighties or whatever. But he was totally on the right track. Yeah. You know, it's so, kind of cool to see. So yeah, he nailed it. This is a real problem we have because uh, there's a group of people in the world which I've used the phrase before. I think Chomsky coined it: the precariat. It's a precarious proletariat because when you huh. look at when you look at global economics, you can move money, capital around the world now to invest in stuff. You can move your products yeah. around the world, so pricing and stuff. But the one thing that you can't compete with against management is your labor. It's static. Like I can't compete with a cheaper factory in Thailand because I'm in America and there's only so much. You know, I can I have to work for right. a certain amount and this and that. So. You know, when when you no longer when that ability to, to rely on your own labor, which he lays out in player piano is this natural desire people have to 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 make or be in control or to do something meaningful. Uh, we're that's going away. You know, fast food workers, they're starting to roll. They're using this big tax break now to roll out automation is that's not even a job people wanted. But at least it was something. So when you gave them the money, they're like, I hate that job, but I earned this money for the things I want in life. But now it's just going to be, well, you, you have no way to earn the money. So what are you going to do? Just stand there and wait for someone oh. to give you something or like right. and and that. I don't know if it's as intentional as it was in Player Piano, but they try to get together and organize and change things. And obviously people that have something to lose (laughs) in a change of the system are like, yeah, I know we're going to prevent that from happening. Right. Um, Yeah. Getting a little conspiracy minded here, but I just, our society's obviously not 
geared towards that. It doesn't have to be malicious. It's just profit driven and, you know, freedom of choice. People are going to choose to make more money and be more efficient until we have no more truck drivers, no more fast food workers, no more waiters. And what do we do then? Our government's going to just start big reeks and recs programs like, yeah, well, here's your universal basic income. Um, We don't really need your energy to justify it, but we got to do something to decide who gets it. So go. Go so walk a dog for three that, hours. Like, if, let's say everybody's getting a universal basic income, which would be they get provided with enough to live and that's, eat. W- that's what the, the Reeks and Rex pretty much were. Yeah, you got a pittance, but everything was made, you know what I mean, so cheaply and, and so effectively you, you could still stay alive. Do you think if, if that were to be the case, would more people sort of figure themselves out and lead the best life? Or would too many people just freak out at the emptiness and the meaningless? meaninglessness because they're not given a schedule to follow and just freak well, out it, and be- it could be either you can have both you could have structure for people that need it and you could have you know uh not for people that like you could go work on an artist colony that's very free form or you could jo- go join an americorps kind of thing or you wake up every day right. and you have a goal you're going to build this bridge we're going to clear this road we're going to you know clean this whatever, well whatever yeah. but the problem is that doesn't work unless you're you're post-scarcity our economy is based on right. scarcity. Something's a value because I want it and there's only so much. You know, 10 people yeah, want yeah. something there's only one of. So that's how you decide the value of it. So you can't really just dole out everything evenly and fairly unless there's no scarcity anymore. Because then you're just going to be like, well, I know we're supposed to do it fairly, but, you know, these guys aren't really doing anything. They're just building some road in rural North Dakota. So they're not going to get the caviar. We're going to leave that in San Francisco and New York. I mean, that's essentially why communism failed for the same reason. It's hard to be really fair. You do need some kind of supercomputer. Speaking of fairness and equality, too, Vonnegut wrote a story called Harrison Bergeron. Oh, that's probably one of his best pieces of writing in my opinion and so i i, yeah. I realized like you could interpret that two different ways we can link that too because yeah, it's that's, a short story it's, i found it online I, it's and um I've, i actually there are a lot of youtube videos of people reading it too sure yeah it's, it's short enough it's yeah. like a five minute read right um it's about this concept of um complete equality of outcome so if you're stronger you have government mandated straps of weights weighing you down and keeping your arms from being more effective just because you were born stronger. If you're smarter, there are these devices that are hooked into your brain that keep you from thinking too hard about any one thing. If you're um, prettier, you have to They hit you in the head with a baseball bat. No, not quite. But you have to wear like ugly masks and make your face look ugly. And when you get caught not doing these things, you get fined, you get put in prison, things like this. And so it was just like a really like disturbing view of what equality of outcome can look like if you really enforce it yeah and so some people think that's this argument against communism like look at these philosophies this is what you get when you follow it right and then other people thought that was his sort of like comical way to say this is what people think communism is like you know but they're over exaggerating like because he made it so ridiculous but that's what he does he over exaggerates to expose that point right yeah so i i my read on it was that it was a genuine critique of Marxism and a genuine critique of equality of outcome thinking. Do you know what year it was published? Or I think written? it was, I really don't know. I think it was in 60-something. We'll have our researchers. Well, uh, the, the idea behind it is, is sound theoretically. What, what's the one line they always use to sum it up? From, from each by his ability to each by his need? Like uh, that sounds smart. Logically, that makes sense. Okay, it's not quite you're that. you're it's something a, like that. 
Well, to boil it down to the you know all of Marx's thoughts in one sentence is basically, you know, to get rid of class. But if going forward, that you know, if Luke's really good at music, he should be out there spreading his music and teaching people. But you know, he doesn't need six houses to do it. If he only instead needs he's one cracking house, he a Moravian border. Right. But see, that's the problem. You don't need a beer, so and you're not well, really no, we, good at we, making beer. Even well, if you so were really is, good at making beer, you don't need as much. No, you only we, get we one do beer. need a beer. That's why this we're This is also one. the philosophy of, um, I think I think it's the philosopher Peter Singer. I could be off on that, but he says something like, no, it's not him, it's someone else, but um, every dollar spent on anything but the essentials of surviving is a dollar that has a starving child's blood on, on its you know, on it. Well, figuratively, yeah, definitely. It's not wrong. It's definitely yeah. not wrong. That's what I mean. It's like, of course, it's true, but like, yeah. um, I, I don't, I don't know how you would, would, would rectify that well, from reality. You, you can make that argument. You could say, Luke, you pouring this beer right now. How dare you not put that money towards? But I already had it. Saving, <laughs> but I want, I want more. Joe, you're making me feel bad. <laughs> I just Luke, want my beer. You're basically pouring blood Joe, into our I glass. Joe, I need my beer. Let me pour the beer. <laughs> You're, you're absolutely <laughs> right, though. No, but that's, I mean, there, there, is, there is some truth there There's in a sense. There's definitely some truth there. My thought on it is it, it's a little bit too black and white. This is the, the problem is people throw that out the window where they don't even want to think about it. And it's like, sure. I, I, th- I think you should think about it once in a while. And I think Vonnegut did, too. I think he definitely did. I think his books make me more of the kind of person that would think about details like that. Yeah. The Peter Singer angle, he's this Australian philosopher, is like every time we do something like crack a beer and spend money on going out to dinner, those yeah. type things, it's like you're watching a kid drown in a shallow pond. Man, this guy's heavy on the imagery. Because Jesus. it's like it's like the kid's drowning in a shallow pond, so it's no risk to you to go out there and try and save it. Yeah. Yet here you are spending $100 going out to dinner for Valentine's Day with your wife or something yeah. when you could have donated that to someplace that... Well, but but do you think that's sort- it's, it's so overwhelming, you just reject it. Like I, I knew a guy who right. was a missionary with his wife when I used to work at this country club. And they stayed members of the country club because they liked to play tennis there. And they used to have like a really nice house, million-dollar house in that neighborhood. It was a really fancy area. And they downsized to like a little ranch. And they bought a place in Africa that they would go to like six months out of the year because he was a doctor. And he would do volunteer work. And they went from being wealthy, like upper-class you know, upper middle class people to being lower class and what they could afford and stuff because they went. Yeah. So it was like, wow, you're really doing that. You know, instead of trying to buy a boat, you're out there doing that stuff. But then I saw a YouTube video where this this uh, I guess social justice warrior was saying to like attention white people that want to help people of color. Uh, if you want to be an ally, is the term, is to give up your house, sign over the deed to a black right. person, I saw like that, yeah. it put, you take your woke. children out of your will and and put some disadvantaged uh, people in there. And it's like, well, that's like it's just too much. First of all, that's insane. And I'm helping the other half of the one percent of the world population. Is that what you do? Try to help people in your own society that are being fucked over, but when compared yeah, to the rest of the world, that, they're way better off. Or do I go to some place I've never? Yeah. Do I go to some place I've never been, and do I and try to and think I'm helping people? Am I any better than the mission Christian uh, Christian missionaries that came hundreds of years ago? They're like, oh, we'll help you. Just find Jesus, and you can't lay with these many women, and you can't be this part of your culture, and just fuck them up. 
Like so, it's it's hard to know. Am I helping? Am I hurting? It's fun to more fun to just sit back and watch the monkeys play and vomit. But also like, try your best to like figure it. out what you're doing. And yeah, you you can help on different scales. Yeah. you can help on different levels. And you can it, know you, what your. Scale I mean, abs- is. absolutism in any context is usually crap. Which is what what Vonnegut in the in the quote Joe that you opened the episode with. Vonnegut I like that quote by the way. The totalitarian mind. Yeah. So let let me just give a little background in that in that quote you read Joe because it's from Mother Night. Yes. And that was the first Vonnegut book that I read as like an adult. I know? think that's also his first great book. It um I don't know there was something about it where I started it like five to six times. And didn't really, really, it didn't pick up. But I also, you know, wasn't in a good schedule to pick up a book at the moment. Yeah. But then I started reading it um, a few nights before I flew to San Francisco, and so I had six hours of reading on the way there, and then I had the two weeks there to like read it on free time, and then yeah. I finished it in the middle of a flight on the way. That back. should do it, yeah. And something about you know I was reading on a plane, so there were no distractions, and I just really got into it. And then I read it again, like after I yeah. finished it, I just like basically reread it yeah. while skip, you know, skimming a few parts. Yeah. Um, so in that scene, um, the the main character is is basically a U.S. spy who is sent to Germany to pretend to be this Nazi. He had, fa- he you know, he was half German, right? The, he had the German character. origins. And yeah. He, he spoke fluent German. And, yeah. and all that. He made like the perfect plant to yeah. be like oh pretend you're a nazi so you right. can secretly so he was approached a by whatever u.s agency and a guy a guy yeah. and and um given this mission to be a spy over there and the, the right. idea of the book is is he was such a good spy he was so convincing well he, he was a ra- he was a radio like propagandist right he became famous as a propagandist he, he was a public figure and a yeah. good one at that you know a great well, one at that. well he was a hero people yeah. not not the a hero not, of the nazis not only the nazis but like just german people like everyday you know german people who are like oh this guy's validating this whole psychotic you know system that we got got going on here all the while inside, he's still thinking, I'm a spy. This is not the real me. I'm just pretending to be this. Right. But um, one of the quotes I love is like Vonnegut writes, but, you know, espionage gives certain men the opportunity to behave in ways they could only imagine. Before, yes. Yeah. Know? Like putting on, on like a, an act sort of. And actually, another That's one. That's not the exact quote, by the well, way. Well, actually, but, one know. of the other quotes, which is a fantastic quote. It's one of my favorite Vonnegut quotes. Ah, the quotes. opening line, right? It's 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 close to the opening line. I think he prefaces it by saying, and and this I'm not going to get exactly right, but it's something like, I don't know um, if this the moral of this story. It's in the preface, like before oh, the book like, begins. Um, I don't know if this moral uh, is any better than any of the others in my other books, but I know it more true than any of the others. Like I thought it was. I know um, it more if clearly. If my work has a theme, it's a relatively simple one. It might be that too. Like, I don't know. I think that's something like but that. But the quote is, we are what we pretend to be, so we must be careful about what we pretend to be. Do you know anything about him adding that in later? Well, I think that's in the preface, so... Okay, so I think the preface got... I, I read something... Well, prefaces can be added in later editions I mean, yeah. or edited, sure, yeah. But I, I think I think maybe he wanted to make more explicit at the beginning, like, the point of the book. Well, that is the moral of the book. Um, or that's a big part of the I book. Think, I think the, a big part of this book is just that, like, humans are capable of, of many ways of being, you know? 
Yeah, and, from and awful to and terrible in terrible. some ways. Yeah, I mean, but even when you're being terrible, you can tell yourself you're doing righteousness. You know, right? Like you have to be careful about what you define as like the right thing, because given enough brainwashing, like horrible things can be. Or just even as even the like right the ferment. I mean, you see, this is the problem where people say like, "Well, I'm not the one who, you know." really that that was actually a, a great there's a great quote in uh the pr most recent season of game of thrones where one of the characters is like oh yeah i kept telling myself that like even as they were burning people alive like well i'm not the one lighting the fires like yeah. i'm just doing my job like i'm not the one you know yep. rounding them up i'm just and and he just goes right. through them and it's like yeah this there's something really to be said there about like putting up those blinders and deferring that we're very capable of justifying horrible things because we don't want to go against the masses well and so this become no, go ahead, Johnny. So what you're saying is since you're not a crooked cop shooting an unarmed black person, it doesn't bother you. That's what you're saying, Joe? <laughs> I'm saying that... Dude, that's such... Like, we have to just establish this real quick. There's an argument technique out there, and it's it's a weapon that so there's that's an easy solution for, but you just have to look out for it because they can sneak it in very... Whoa, very... whoa, whoa. Who's this they, Luke? Are you saying okay, all Johnny. people that don't look like you aren't... So Johnny's <laughs> demonstrating the technique right now. And the technique is oh, whatever God. someone says to you, you say, oh, so you're saying and, and you like you say something misrepresent yeah. everything they say and pretend like that's what you're fighting against. Or, um, or that's that's what they said. You make a summation. Well, sometimes for it them. is what they said. Yeah, but a lot of times it's not. It's oh, like yeah. it's like, it's, oh, so you're it, saying that like blah, 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 blah. It's like. Th those were none of the words I said. Yeah. You know what I mean? Even if you say, even if they do get it accurately, you can spin it. Like if you're trying to explain unemployment rates in a you know community, can you just, you can just turn around and be like, oh, so what you're saying is blacks don't have jobs or something. And they, right. It's like, well, that tone made it sound like I don't want them to have jobs. But I mean, right. yeah, that's the that's the name of the book is black unemployment or what? You know, so right, it, right. it's just a way of even just uh, uh, spinning or phrasing their own stance in such a way to focus on the negative. That's why I think someone like mm. a Vonnegut would have cut through like the 2018 culture like a warm I, knife through butter. You know? I, I would yeah. have. That's what I mean. I would have loved to. Have I wonder if that's just why, gotten his input on I wonder the last if that's like, why, couple yeah. years. Is that why we are where we are? Because those guys like Vonnegut and Carlin and stuff, they came along and they were crushing it for like 50 years. Yeah. And that that is I it mean, one it of is it one of those things that, where the, that's part of it. Yeah. But is it one of those things well, where the trees get too big and then when those trees fall down, there's no new small growth trees because they oh. were just too big and they didn't and the allow has to reset itself over time. I, I mean, that's yeah. a, that's a, that's a whole other thing getting into, uh, you know, like looking at something like why Trump happens. And, and there's a lot of reasons why Trump. Happened. I would have loved to hear the like but, you said, Vonnegut's take on the Trump because he would have he would have like he, he would have said everything that we've said so Vonnegut, far on this Trump, podcast about I mean, Trump. Vonnegut, George Carlin and Freddie Mercury, the three of them on a, on a, one of these talking heads show <laughs> about the current what, state of things. It'd be amazing. Patreon, we'll try to get all three of them. on an episode. <laughs> We'll try. Yeah, we'll we'll, <laughs> we'll do our best. We'll definitely try. We'll send out so the what feelers. What you're saying you know? is you can raise the dead. Well, well we're saying we'll try. That is what I was so what you're saying is yeah. you're a devil worshiper. <laughs> well, no. Remember, we may or may not be undercover genie cops playing the long con oh, shit, on you. You right. don't know. Yeah, you gotta you gotta stay vigilant yeah, these sorry. next I, like I, sixty I'll, I'll, years I'll, or so. I should stop interrupting too. Then go ahead. John. No, you can interrupt. It's fine. We'll, we'll just interrupt you for, for the um, for the for the mother night closure. Yeah. What I like about um, how it applies to today and why it, it sort of rang more true to me was um, he says right in the opening after the we are what we pretend to be this sort of realization that hey if I had been born in 
Nazi Germany, then I probably would have right. been raised and become a Nazi. Especially if he's doing it regardless as under this guise of like, oh, I'm Well, I'm it's like the irony is like he's not a Nazi, but he's there being a Nazi nonetheless, you know? <laughs> like, and, and it's also ironic because everybody in America loathes him. Right. And they don't and, realize he's a spy. And, and even when he gets back to America, like after the war, the, like the only people who like these pro like you know neo-nazi sympathizers are like oh my god you're my hero like i can help you i can protect you i can blah blah blah. and he's like oh these pieces of shit like these are the worst people but they're the only ones who and they really do they like objectively like love this guy and care about him and want to help him but they're terrible nazis too so it's this real like weird it's a very uncomfortable contradiction that like he eventually like keeps trying to come to terms with and there's no way to come to terms with it in the end it's like well i think the way to come to terms with it is with a quote like um uh the alexander solzhenitsyn quote from the gulag archipelago can you he, say all of that again alexander 10 times fast solzhenitsyn wait, wait, wait. can you say, say that ger- uh, say, russian say, name say it with properly. a russian accent and say it yeah, the say, say, say it all you got no, come on no say it all in a russian accent it will flow much because i didn't hear what alexander solzhenitsyn all right, you went Italian. The- you went cartoon Italian <laughs> chef there, which is why I wanted you yeah, to do it. You went the fucking uh, chef from uh, the the Muppets or whatever. Uh, What's the name of the book? It's the Gulag Archipelago. It's about the okay. gulags in Soviet Russia, and his his quote. I thought it was a gulag. I I actually first stumbled upon Luke's this from quote Canada. not from anything political, <laughs> but from like Buddhist teachers that I follow. Yeah. They say like the line dividing good from evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who among us wants to destroy part of their own heart? Wait, right? who who quoted that? Who's that? That's that? that's Solzhenitsyn, but okay. the I follow, like originally, is where I heard the quote from, and then I've heard the quote more as a political thing, talking about people who are like always making other out of their political opponents, like these guys are Nazis. These yeah, are Nazis. otherizing. And Kurt Vonnegut is saying in this book, like if you were born in Germany, you would be a Nazi. And you'd probably be good at it because you're you're a smart, skilled person. So you would have been shaped to be a really smart, skilled Nazi. Um, uh, l- let me see here. Oh, okay. He also speaks so much about truth, like speaking truth, right? Mm-hmm. Like he, he like his characters say the two things I love from Mother Night. Uh, him and his friend get really drunk once, and the friend's kind of like looking at him all sad and goes, "Like I'm going to tell you something." true i think he says um uh this is one of those moments when somebody really speaks the truth one of those rare moments people people hardly ever speak the truth but now i am speaking the truth and then his friend said i love my motorcycle more than i love my wife (laughs) i remember that yeah the guy loved the fucking motorcycle yeah and he was a nice bike he's he's like drunk there they think they're going to die in this bunker or something and he's just like i'm going to tell you the truth i'm pretty sure i love my motorcycle more than my wife you know right and and that's just like uh we're gonna die type yeah like why not just say it i've been thinking it for five years since i got that precious motorcycle i have i have one more quote well well, i have a couple more quotes but i have another one along the lines of, of just thinking about a little bit more about like coming back to the earlier quote from mother night about kind of the function of human brain and uh, the human brain and this is a little different because this is from that book galapagos which i highly recommend you've been you've been trying to get me to read that for years you will you will be all over that so here here's the quote uh and and just a little background a a brief preface uh galapagos takes place a million years from now after humanity has been wiped out and that's not a spoiler because that's stated like right at the beginning of the novel 
Uh, and also, we already spoiler alert. No worries. That's true. Yeah, and it's narrated by uh, uh by this like um ghost basically who's just like around um observing what humanity now is, which they through a series of events evolve into furry seal creatures that are just about like lying in the sun and eating fish. Turns out being like these limby monkey yeah. things doesn't really work well. well. So, Joe, and I so think they're, Joe, they like to be called Armenians. Oh, <laughs> shots fired. Wow. <laughs> Goodbye, Armenian listeners. Just kidding, guys. I was going to say, did we have any? All right, so here's the quote. Um, just about every adult human being, uh, I'm sorry, just about every adult human being back then had a brain weighing three kilograms. There was no end to the evil schemes that a thought machine that oversized could imagine and execute. So I raised the question, although there is nobody around to answer it, can it be doubted that three kilogram brains were once nearly fatal defects in the evolution of the human race? That, in my opinion, was the most diabolical aspect of those old time big brains. They would tell their owners, in effect, here's a crazy thing we could actually do, probably, but we would never do it, of course. It's just fun to think about. And then, as though in trances, the people would really do it. Have slaves fight each other to the death in the Colosseum, or burn people alive in the public square for holding opinions which were locally unpopular, or build factories whose only purpose was to kill people in industrial quantities, or to blow up whole cities, and on and on. Hmm. Kurt Vonnegut, Galapagos. But that sums up so much i feel like of what we've kind of touched upon well in different aspects he wasn't scared to address the awful capabilities that humans have and and as seen both historically and moving forward like talking about that russian fucking submarine sure that's what that is it's that's a crazy fucking idea that covers all those checklist points and it's it's to me no different than two competing tribes in a jungle throwing rocks at each other except that the rocks territory. are salted nukes except the rocks now are 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 equating energy and mass to just release pure energy and yeah. then spray radioactive it's i mean it's it's objectively yeah, so, psychotic so, so, but so is it surprising we no that's that his out, point though yeah his yeah, point is it's yeah we've we figured out how to do that we all have supercomputers in our pockets we're talking right now a thousand miles apart in real time we think we are well, I don't know if you're real. He is part genie, perhaps, at <laughs> but, least. But uh, I'm saying we, we, we're doing all that shit. But at the same time, when I travel somewhere new in the U.S., which is, let's say, a first world nation, when I travel to, like, a new city or town I haven't been to, and I go to get a glass of water from someone's kitchen, I go, can I drink out of the tap? And they either go, yeah, it's fine. Or they go, oh, no, 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 yeah, it smells like sulfur. Don't do it. So yeah, you don't want to do that. That's a problem they had in fucking ancient Greece was lead right. in the water. And how are we still dealing with that? But we figured out we're sending rockets to Mars. We're sending electric cars right. to Mars. But, like, our water is either lead or chlorine. Those are your two and it's, choices. And it's, and it's getting worse just because, well, for a lot of reasons. But, you know, there's, I mean, you would like to think that there are ways to address these issues and improve them. And, and there are, but uh, technology and, and progress it often develops unevenly. It's like... Yeah, you may develop, like, um, you know, technological communications, like being able to talk on Skype and cell phones and stuff. Well, technology and ethics, right? Like, well, that's yeah. what I mean. Way faster than you figure out, like, oh, hey, we should stop burning coal for power because the planet's fucking yeah. melting. You know what I mean? And it's like, maybe that will catch up, but all of a sudden we'll be like, 
Oh yeah, there's no more water left. Uh, it's all dirty right. and everybody's starving. I think we're Doesn't that make you a Nazi though? That. Looking back, because it's like, well, look at all those showers you took. You were one of the wasteful, indoctrinated Nazi. Well, there people. you go. Every hot shower you take is has a, a starving child's blood running through it. Like you know, like where do you draw that line? But I think Kurt Vonnegut's main point is that humans are. I'm gonna give one last quote from Mother Night because. I think I just read this, Joe, and I think that's what you were thinking about the mm -hmm. true more than any other thing. Right. Um, he says, I will tell you the one thing I really believe out of all the things there are to believe. All oh, people right. are insane. They will do anything at any time, and God help anybody who looks for reasons. It's sort of like... <laughs> yeah, like it covers we're all, it. We're yeah. all... And, and this is the Solzhenitsyn thing. It's like, don't look out to the world for the evil in the world first like identify it within yourself um i think that would be um uh sort of that like identify with the shadow version of yourself right and then you'll understand what makes people susceptible to evil right outside you and and one one other quote i'm just going to throw in for the record because i i feel like it, it, to somebody who's not familiar with them at all like you you might hear a lot of this and think like oh man this guy's like dark or you might you know, think negatively of it, perhaps, and yeah. it, it's not like I, there's I, a playful energy to well, it. Well, that's yeah, that's yeah. not his intention. So another quote from Sirens of the Titan, which I really love, is a purpose of human life, no matter who is controlling it, is to love whoever is around to be loved. Like uh, I think that was in the beginning because I think I think I just it is read yeah. It recently yeah. yeah. So like I mean, he was all about as well getting to a point where even if you can't get to all the answers or all the solutions. You should still do your best to have the greatest net good for yourself and everybody around yeah, you. Yeah, you already know what's good, so do more of that before you like freak yeah. out about the meaning of the big picture. Just do more and, local and, and good. And make that negatively snowball, yeah. Think so globally, act locally. Is that what you're telling us, Joe? Is that the bumper sticker? I think we promised yeah. that you would make bumper stickers at some point. We've made a lot of promises. No, we, sa we said we would make one that said, don't squeeze the genie. Oh, I didn't say I would one. do it. But... Johnny, you're really into history, so I'm going to read something from sirens of titan that you would like it, it was about this idea that like history became too big this guy pretended to see into the year 10 million oh that's too too far um, yeah and he said uh in the year 10 million there would be a tremendous house cleaning all records relating to the period between the death of christ and the year <laughs> 1 million a.d would be hauled to dumps and burned this awesome. would be done because museums and archives would be crowding the living right off the earth the million-year period to which the burned junk related would be summed up in the history books in one sentence, which was, following the death of Jesus Christ, there was a period of readjustment that lasted for approximately one million years. <laughs> so that's, right now, folks, that's we, amazing. Are in, we are in a period of readjustment. But that speaks, too, to, like... Trump and every. But that speaks, else. too, to, like, the fact, like... And this was it's something true. else that comes up of, like, how, like on the cosmic scale insignificant we are like you look at yeah. like neil degrasse tyson like has a great uh video where like he shows the human calendar and how human oh, existence is like year, right? is like the last second of the last it's like a minute before new year's eve it's like Midnight, a few seconds yeah. i think before like you know the ball drops on new year's eve like that's humanity on the cosmic time scale yeah and it's like that's sort of what he's getting at like look what are we doing here like let's not destroy ourselves because yeah. That's it then. Like yeah. it's over. Well, what I mean, do you want to also do you want to do something significant enough and meaningful enough that it's worthy of like not um, summating it 
into the word readjustment period. <laughs> right. Because Which think is of it, like good Beethoven, to keep in mind. Mozart, yeah. Mahler, you know, great writers, great artists, like all of that being summed up, all the great technology being summed up into right. there was a readjustment period. Right, right. You know, that's kind of right. sad. <laughs> that's very sad. But that's he's saying that all without saying it. Yeah. Which is really cool. That's really hard to do as a writer, but he does it so well. Right. Yeah, for sure. From th This is because there's some time travel, like, aspect to... <laughs> In a lot of his of books, Titan. yeah. And um, the, the idea of that quote was this future that somebody claimed to have seen. Right. Um, turns out he was lying, but... Uh, point taken, though. Yeah, point for taken. For sure, yeah. Definitely. You know what's weird? Th you, but, but you were right about the, the time thing, because we don't know what... Like, what's the point they're going to pick? It's just arbitrary. They're going to pick Jesus till year 3000. Like, what is the, what is well, the actual... Well, we do that as well. Right. Where we say, like, the medieval period, and people are like, when is that? It's like, I don't know, when did Rome fall? Like, around then. Isn't it weird to think it's that... It's like, that, no, that's not that, Isn't it weird but... to think that you, Newton, like, Julius Caesar, all these guys sat around reading, like, ancient Greek texts, being like, wow, these old dead guys had some shit figured out. And you think yeah. about Caesar or Newton so far removed from you, but they had that same experience of like, yeah, I guess I got to figure out what they meant because they've been dead for so fucking long. Right, and, uh, right. It's just, you know, wh where's that arbitrary point? That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, he really tapped into these ideas where you're like, you, you read that and you're like, oh, I see what he's saying. He's really pointing to a an idea that I should be more cognizant of you know like i should keep in mind certainly in terms of like what are we really doing here and what can we really accomplish or or fail to accomplish is just kind of like you know monkey-esque people mucking about yeah you know um <clears throat> i have another quote for you if you want sure we we sh i think we should get to the segments soon though we're over an hour oh right now. crap i forgot about the segments uh yeah. you want to save your quote for after we're an hour and 10 in right now Okay, I'll save it. Uh, I have an hour and 25 on my, on my count. Well, that's the Skype, not the file. Oh, that's right. Okay, that's not bad. Well, so unfortunately, I didn't find a fact or fiction because I did so much Vonnegut research. So I don't know if Luke got drunk and figured out on his end what to do, but I assume you have... I assume the genies come in packing. For, I do for have Vonnegut a would you episode. rather. That yeah. I'm more interested to hear your response than Luke's. I'm not going to lie. Well, uh, why but, is that? You'll, you'll you, see. Uh, yeah. why, why don't you throw the quote out then while we wait for him? Uh, okay, so the quote is, uh, let's see here. I've seen it once before in a rat, and I see it now in men. Once one gets a taste for its own kind, it can spread through the pack like a wildfire, mindlessly chomping and biting at their own hinds. Nothing but the taste done flesh of their mind. You know the thing about a rat. It's got lifeless eyes. Black eyes like, like a, doll's a doll's eyes. eyes. Don't seem to be living at all. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Th all right. That's not a Kurt Vonnegut quote, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah. In fact, uh, if you know where that's, that's not even from. even the quote from. Yeah, go ahead. If you know where that's from before I explain it, that's awesome. It's I, not even I, from I the like movie, you. by the way. All right, guys, so, I just got back from peeing, and I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> Joe was just doing the speech that Quint does in Jaws about, but it wasn't... <laughs> about the attack on the, U the USS Indianapolis, but the Charlie Kelly version from yes. Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Uh, yes, it, it wasn't even the original movie so, Joe, version. Joe, I don't know if you know this, but I also have a um, recording of you reading this 
quote from Jaws. I remember vaguely doing during that. one of the betas. Yeah. yeah. By the way, guys, uh, listeners, when we say betas, we mean like the one of the small boys we keep around to carry <laughs> beers for us, right? We mean the attempted <laughs> podcast we did, like before we actually started publishing things, where we would just like start hanging out and drinking and recording. Yeah. Um, I have a recording of you doing that. Really? I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but well, well it. put it in the pocket, you know, like you know, it... you know, the story that he's telling in Jaws is a true story. It's a real thing. It's not just for oh, really? Jaws. Yeah, the USS Indianapolis got, I think, torpedoed or kamikazed in World War II, and oh, like shit. a few thousand soldiers went into the water. But a uh, school of sharks found them because they were in the Pacific, and it took a, a couple of days for them to get rescued. And oh, uh, there's only like a few hundred left because they just were floating in a big pile, and the sharks would just, when they got hungry again, come back and eat a few of you, and there's nothing you could Fuck. do. That's and like a Vonnegut story, dude. Yeah, that's why I thought you picked the quote. And so oh, Charlie, I mean, of course that's why I picked Charlie the quote. Charlie Kelly it telling the Vonnegut joke version with rats. Yeah, funny, but, yeah. but that, so that Joe, was a real, a real, one of the most fucked up shark attack stories. That's uh, crazy, dude. Which is why that character hated sharks, which makes sense in context of the movie. Yeah. So, Joe, is there any, like, um, fruit pieces you want to, like, grab to get get back on the Vonnegut train? I, I, I mean, all, all I mean, to conclude about Vonnegut, yeah, because I do want to get to the Would You Rather. Um, I would just say, like, if, if, you, if you haven't read any of his works, um, you know, you could even start with some of his short stories or his essays. But I think Player Piano is a good one to go, go with starting out. If you want to get into something a little deeper, like Mother Night is a good place to start. Cat's Cradle is a great novels have you read cat's cradle that's a great yeah. one too cat's cradle i think is right up there with sirens of, uh, with um slaughterhouse five is one of his best works i should reread that yeah it covers that's a lot the of the one where about. he keeps the cat in the little crib right <laughs> so you know I, I would just say it's hard uh, to hear johnny and see johnny <laughs> i know it is it is kind of a little bit it's of, a lot uh, it's a lot, yeah, a lot going on here so I would say, uh, give a, you know, give him a shot. His style might not be. It's probably for, not for everybody. I it's think. it's definitely not for yeah. everybody, in, in all honesty. But I think his messages are so. You know how I think it's not today. for, especially, is and, and I I really respect these type of people and 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 how they might get to the type of personality that's like this. But you know the type of people that are just always very cheery. And just always on the yeah. bright side of things, right? Um, Which is fine, even if it's a little bit performative. Yeah, there, there's a sense of like, hey, that's okay. I can deal with this. Like, let's, you know. And they the always practice come up with optimist. A I fucking yeah, like, hate that shit. But if well, it's easy to hate it, but it's also but if they're getting through life, yeah. If oh, I hate life, it because I don't have it. Because no, that's what I mean. I life is resent it. Life yeah. is yeah. fucking yeah, insane. So whatever you have to do to get through it, like that, uh, like I'm okay with that as long as you're doing good stuff and you're doing yeah, what you can, think, like I whatever. I think is more for like people like me. I think um, the things that I love about Vonnegut is it's a balance of like science and objectivism. Yeah. With yeah. a scent, uh, with a quest for looking for meaning, but also with like a comical like satire on the reality of it, which is like we're in a ridiculous situation. You know, we're little mobile creatures on yeah. like a spinning planet in infinity. All right, so to that I think point, a good th- test, Joe. Is this a good test? I just want to throw out if if somebody like oh, you, like I heard you talking about that Vonnegut guy. Is that a book? Like, is that someone I'd enjoy? You just ask them. How how hard and how far down do you have to push your own existential dread? And when they go, what? Be like, yeah, never mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah if they're yeah, like, like, if oh, they don't yeah, get what you mean they, by that question. If they have yeah. any response but what, then be like, yeah, you should check them out. 
How's that sound, Jeff? That would be that Actually, would be that's cool. a really good yeah. that's a really good like litmus test for like Vonnegut liking. Yeah. But here's my last quote from Vonnegut, which I think uh, uh, pretty much says um, uh, not at its essence what he's trying to say, but like where you can kind of go from from there. And with Vonnegut. by the way, Joe, why I love Vonnegut quotes is no matter how much I pathetically try to like you know third beer in the afternoon like rant about Vonnegut, yeah. only in a Vonnegut quote can make you go. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, totally. Yeah. He says it way better than we can analyze yeah. what he's saying. Yeah, which I have is one why I took quote. down like ten different quotes. So, so mine is just very quickly. Uh, I tell you, we are here on Earth to fart around, and don't let anybody tell you different. Yeah. So, I, like I mean, he's not like an overly dark dude. Like he's 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 dry and yeah, and, and tries to make humor out of how ridiculous life is. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, uh, so, yeah, you, you, we missed my, the one quote, which is my favorite Vonnegut quote and story, which Joe told me. Um, yeah. So can about, I throw that About out? the doll's eyes, the lifeless eyes. <laughs> okay, so my second favorite one. Um, it was uh, when he, you're talking about when he was a struggling writer. He had kids he had to feed and stuff. Uh, yeah. He got a brief stint with Sports Illustrated writing for oh, them. Oh, yeah, right. And he was tasked with writing a review about a horse race where the horse jumped the fence. Like instead of going around the track, just That's went such the a other Vonnegut way story and jumped already. out of the fence. Yeah, and uh, he uh, he 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 stared at his desk for like hours and couldn't come up with anything. And he submitted one sentence to his editor, which was the horse jumped over the fucking fence and then quit. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Because he, like, he was like, he was like, oh, I, I need a, a job. He's like, I need a job. Like I need to be responsible and like this and that and blah. But like just just trying to, he's like can't do it like i can't do this bullshit i have I, to go be around i respect that can i say so much funny so too? deeply though because like i have yeah. one more quote too and i feel like that's a good way to close the vonnegut yeah. circle and joe the quote you gave was so joe johnny the quote you gave <laughs> yeah. was so johnny and the quote i'm about to read is so luke <laughs> perfect so this quote is from mother night i um it's almost very uh, connects with the same part of my brain that loves reading buddhism and, and things like that it's also sounding religious, which is why we said Vonnegut is not an atheist by today's standards. You know? Right. Uh, no young person on earth is so excellent in all respects as to need no uncritical love. Good Lord, as youngsters play their parts in political tragedies with casts of billions, uncritical love is the only real treasure they can look for. That's the side of Vonnegut that's like, like at yeah. the end of the day, that's what you're in anything for. Because right. you're going to die. You're going to become part of matter again on this spinning rock in infinity. And what the fuck would it mean unless, you know, you're dishing out something good like that? Right, right. Yeah, because that's the only difference between, like, pre-infinity and post-infinity. Right. Is, like, is, what you do in between. It's a very small period in between, yeah. which by, like, the alien standards in Vonnegut's own stories are, like... A meaningless amount of time it's like the you would take a nap while your right. cell phone charges they're taking a nap next to mars while they raise the entire human civilization to build right. a spaceship part right for them. and that seems insane <laughs> to us but it's like that's because we're not cyborg aliens yeah no, but also time is on our a, scale. a house fly can live like 20 something hours and reproduce and die right and and, and we, if it stops for 10 minutes to to just like you know sit on your your shoe take a dump or something yeah and it's like well you what are you doing dude <laughs> what are you doing with your life, bro? Yeah, what are you doing with your life, fly, bro? Like, I don't yeah. care because it's, yeah, it's not even, I, I've, yeah, okay. So hopefully we've convinced some people to read Vonnegut. I would like to think so. I would be very interested if you guys want to post comments, you have questions, or I, I'm sure I said things about Vonnegut that are maybe not quite 
accurate or on point. So if you... I, I, I thought that was just a dis... Well, that was Southern. <clears throat> I thought that was just a disclaimer we always had for this podcast. It is, but I think it's <laughs> worth reminding in case somebody stumbles across it the first time, you know? Like, Fair enough. Somebody might just be like, oh, like somebody's reviewing or talking about Vonnegut or something. Let me check. The- oh, these guys are drunk assholes. Like, oh. I have some things to say. It's I looked like, out the window when Joe said that. <laughs> drunk assholes? <laughs> I was like, there's drunk assholes outside. <laughs> nope, they're all in here. Yeah. So, uh, so we're gonna get to Would You Rather? Is I that... think so. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't. Right. I didn't do a, a, a research for my segment. Me neither. Yeah, I okay. think we can just really dig into this. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. I do want to just let people know before we get into that. Me and Joe have just um, had. Oh yeah, uh, we had a beer, and we're gonna crack a new one too. Our other beer. So this beer that we're just finishing now is the uh, from Foothills Brewing. This is part of the beer I grabbed on my beer road trip up the East Coast. Um, and it's called the Moravian Porter. Um, it's pretty low percentage for a porter, eh, Johnny? Uh, no, traditional porters, it's, it's right around there. It's like just under 6%. W- what's going on in this? It, it tastes almost like n- not hoppy. So the, but... the Moravians are a religious sect from Germany that, uh, that moved in the 1800s or some shit. I don't know. It's almost when. a little spicy. They went to Pennsylvania, and then they got... Johnny, you were on such a convincing thing. You're like, in the 1800s or some shit. I don't know. <laughs> some shit. I don't remember exactly. But then they got kicked out of Pennsylvania because I think they were too progressive. Uh, I think women, they gave like women small property rights, so everyone freaked out. So they oh walked God, down ridiculous. to North Carolina. Yeah. Well, uh, but they're, well, they're like... <laughs> They're, they're like the old-timey people from here that you see, like the living history people, like Williamsburg right, type. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the founders. Yeah, and they're, they're, it's actually a religious sect. Like they have this dodecahedral pointed star uh, uh-huh. that's on the label if you look at it. Because I gave Luke that one. Look at the star he's holding up. That's the Moravian star. Oh, that's shit. cool. We'll, we'll, we'll their church a has a lot of, yeah. of and their church. That's a badass. That's like a three D yeah. star. That's really cool. Yeah, Look them cool up. Graphic. Post a picture. They're yeah. they're just really cool aesthetically. If you're not religious, uh, yeah. but so those we'll are Moravian tweet, we'll tweet cookies. At them. Moravian cookies are a type of like ginger cookie they make, and the those Moravian uh, spices are what's in that porter. It's spicy. So it's like yeah. cinnamony, nutmeggy kind of. Uh, Definitely, yeah. Tastes stuff. like the crust of a pie. Yeah, yeah, that's their Moravian spice blend. Yeah, def- definitely some some cinnamon or uh, nutmeg. So that's like a sure. local, you know, beer. And Joe, doing what's the whole this local beer thing. we're about thing. to? to oh, so I also I have a new beer. Speaking of founders, I have a founders pale. Oh, it's Pale Joe. <laughs> that's hey. the name of it, and it's a pale ale brewed with coffee. And the reason why I chose this actually, throwing it back to Vonnegut, is I was trying to find a beer that would be most Vonnegut. And I should have done more research because I kind of went with the first thing I found, which was um, that his grandfather actually, uh, I, I believe, had a brewery um, pre-Prohibition, and it got shut down when Prohibition went into effect. And that was kind of the end of the family you know, brewing business. But years later, um, in like the 70s or 80s or 90s or something, like when he was an established writer, somebody made a, um, I think it was called... I forget what it was called, but it's it's a it's a Vonnegut like beer. They called it the Vonnegut beer, and it was based on his grandfather's original like recipe oh, really? that he brewed with. And it was uh, apparently the the beer that he brewed and the beer that they remade was a uh, a lager, but brewed with coffee, which I've actually never had. I've had a coffee stout. I've had a coffee porter. Um, I've never had a coffee lager. I don't even know if they exist to be honest. So the closest thing I yeah. can find. It does. It's the closest mm-hmm. thing I could find because I didn't want to just get another coffee stout because we had those on the podcast. So I went with 
uh, this Founders uh, Pale Joe, which is actually a pale ale brewed with coffee, which I've also never had a pale ale brewed yeah. with coffee. I, so, I, had, yeah. I had last week, I had a, a, a Saison Golden Ale, farmhouse ale with coffee, remember? With coffee? Do you have an opener? Yeah, that was fucking delicious. I don't. Uh, fuck. I do. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, an opener can't be far. Um, Joe, by the way, don't worry when you're buying beer, whether it's like a repeat for the podcast. Oh, I'm not, I'm I'm not, it's not that I'm worried. It's just, I want to have a, a, we're we're bound to repeat. No, no, no. And we should repeat. I think good beers are worth repeating, but I think also you, you you don't want to get into not even a cycle, but like. Keep uh, it diverse. Yeah, you want to keep it diverse. Like, have you, we had a sour you can bring on, back beers, but no, we should we should bring in some sours, for right. example. You I know, had like, a sour last. I've had a sours on the on the pad the podcast. Yeah, you have. You have. Yeah, but we, we should as we should as well. You By know? the way, um, that's fine. Uh, uh, the mics Joe and I are currently speaking on. Oh, are that smells just good. These like clip on collar mics, which at least gets a little closer. Hopefully, our audio is sounding better. Um, we might take these with us. We're gonna go to a, a beer release from other half brewery, that's right uh this weekend yeah and, very excited for that um hopefully we'll just record a few conversations on the way there in the car for our very loyal oh patreon subscribers yes which yeah. you can become we always want the podcast to be free well but, the podcast is um, free and that is what it is but i mean who would fucking pay for this right i wouldn't <laughs> I mean, as a I, product, I mean, I do with beer. Oh, the really good man. content is just behind the paywall, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's. I mean, the, no, it's not even that. It's just like different content. Like, uh, well, the drunk tank the, the, that we did last week was really good, and the preview I think was really good. Well, so like in, in this episode, even. we had a little bit more of a straight edge energy, which but is it's fine. also during the it's day, just earlier in the day. And, yeah, know, it's definitely just earlier in the day. You know, I got up early enough to eat a solid meal, and so like. I, I hit this beer buzz with, like, some resistance, you know? <laughs> no, I was like, I just got to coffee balance level of being able to go about my day, and now we're going to crush some beers and talk about Vonnegut, so yeah. let's get into it. Um, All right, so exactly. would you rather? Oh, yeah. So here's like, the share, would you rather. Now, would you rather? Johnny, it's, it's been a few episodes since we've given the 30-second, the, um, like, ride instructions for this. Thing. Yeah, we, we should repeat that, I think. I think okay, so repeating. I'll start and then Luke. For anybody just, just, just tuning it. into yeah. this first episode, yeah, why are you a genie and what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> so, it, uh, would you rather? I think most <laughs> Those are people good points are, are familiar with. It's you ask two extremes and you have to pick one. You can't say, you know, I don't choose when I quit. And a lot of times people cop out of that choice. You know, would you rather, uh, you know, eat a shoe or not have shoes or something. He goes, well, it's like, oh, well, I, just, I wear, sa- I wear sandals wear most sandals, of the time yeah. anyways. I so I'm the ones you give while you're giving the instructions. <laughs> so I'm empowered with, with certain genie, immortal genie powers to force, not only force you to answer the question, but to make it work. So if I posit a question and you go, well, can I just go out that door? I'm like, oh, right, doorknobs don't exist in this reality. So right. I, it just, just so you have to focus on the one aspect that I'm trying to get you to focus on. So I do have right. certain powers, uh, not really in in real life, but yeah, in guys, genie in the, in the world. life where you're driving to work, listening to this podcast, I just like aren't beer, real. Yeah. Well, that's, that's well, conspiracy let's not, part. Three. Let's not let's say, say that for sure. <laughs> I'm just not a genie. Uh, well, but that's what a genie would say. I know. I know. Anyway, well, Johnny, you were a genie ever since you uh, spilled hot glue all over yourself in your eyes oh we figured that out johnny that story is your transition into being a genie that's how you transformed 
Oh, nobody knows what we're talking about. <laughs> I think we just broke oh, no. he, He's like, they found my secret. But I just realized nobody <laughs> nobody knows. Johnny's twitching on the Joe webcam. Joe told a story on the drunk tank. The drunk tank are... You can't tell them. No, 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 no. We're telling them that you can... We're telling them where the story exists. Yeah, you can access the story <laughs> if you become a Patreon subscriber and have access to the drunk tank episode. In drunk tanks, we just keep recording after an episode like this. Yeah. And um, obviously, if we keep drunk courting, we get drunk courted I like drunk courting. Yeah. <laughs> drunk courting, yeah. Drunk courting sounds so, like you're um, wasted, like, Joe quartering and drawing something. Joe told a story involving someone. Johnny, like, accidentally messing with some PVC glue. And um, <laughs> we think this is the genie, like, gel that, like, spread all over Johnny's mm. body and made right. him into a genie. Because that Hashtag always comes up. Genie lube. Yeah, because Luke's always <laughs> like, Johnny's getting the genie lube. And it's yeah. like, that was it. It was that PVC pipe glue that, you know. You're, that's like your X-Men or, or your Marvel that's the worst origin lube story. ever. Glue. Yeah. No, it's it's not the glue you want on you. That's for sure. So anyway, that's, that's the Hulk uh, juice that I fell in or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, that was your vat of whatever. Insert now that we've whatever. updated people, go ahead. Okay. Genie. So yeah. as the Genie Johnny, would you oh, rather? We gotta post it today instead of a legal pad. <laughs> I love that. Last week he had this big legal pad. He looked like a fucking genie lawyer, yeah, and he, he had like ready. glasses at the tip of his genie nose. <laughs> and this week he has a fucking post-it with yeah. some. Chicken scratch on it. Yeah, yeah. well, to it's be like fair, you definitely though, woke up right before the podcast this week. To be fair, that's all true, and also it was chicken scratch on the legal pad too. So it was just a fair enough a different form. I have many sizes of note taking. I Anyways, I believe it. Yeah, uh, but let's not upset him before you, we even get into the Would you rather? Yeah, become a famous author. Yes. A year after you die. And, or a year before you die. But what you're going to be most remembered for long after you're dead is the last two years of your writing. Oh, that's a lot of math. It's not. It, it's the numbers one cases. and two, Joe. In both cases, that's what you're... Oh, you're, so, so you're saying in the you're rather... You're going to become famous, but would you rather become a famous writer a year before you die or a year after you die, knowing that like the main work that you're known for is going to be like your leaves of grass is going to be the last two years so if you you choose the one where you get famous before you die then you get to enjoy being famous for what you just recently wrote right but whereas after you die you will die not even knowing that you will become famous right but you'll be dying writing the very no but you'll you'll know because you made the deal with the genie well you will you know that 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 that's going to happen johnny um, you know, you know what? I think to make sure your writing is unaffected, because something you you missed there, Luke, is you're you're aware that you're famous for your last year of creating art, right? So or you, you might, will be famous, so, yeah. No, you start getting famous in that last year. It's like George Martin oh, getting famous rather, as yeah. an old guy. It's gonna affect. It could affect the quality of your writing because right. you're writing from the perspective of uh, I have a legacy now. Let me top right. it off right. rather than and and also you don't know because otherwise you you'll be like shit. I'm gonna die in twelve months. So I, I don't want to freak you out that way. So I think you lose knowledge of this conversation as soon as you make your choice. I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, see, that's why I have to be a genie, people, is so that no, I can wait. It, yeah, yeah. There's so the genie angle because there's too many loose ends that you just yeah. have to tie off with like black and white rules. <laughs> yeah. No, that's interesting. That's an interesting question because I I do write and I think and I say this like not as like somebody who's trying to play the angle of. Oh well, I think both options suck. I, I'm willing to choose an option, but I'm just saying, like objectively, I honestly don't care 
in the sense that I'd rather just keep writing and doing my own thing and wherever the cards lie in terms of, uh, or, you know, in terms of people appreciating so my work. So you would choose the second one? I would, which one is that, where I'm... Famous after you die. I would probably choose that, because I'm already, I already write and I'm not famous. So I'd rather and just... you like it. I, I don't care. Like, I'd rather just keep writing and doing my best. Do you think it would disturb you finding your true voice knowing you were famous? Uh, or would you be able to write more timelessly and poignantly, knowing that your future people are going to read it? You I know, would like. I, I would like to think it doesn't. It wouldn't make a difference. I. I mean, I. I can't say that it would or wouldn't. One difference I could see it making is that if I think, you're sitting I think there as a writer and you know you're famous, yeah. you start writing to like the people you think like in real life would buy it. Whereas right. when you're not famous, you write it to your own ideal, thinking like the right people will come find it. Right, I, and I'm, a little. I, I I can see the corruption being more easily. Yeah, happen when I think you're that's. I, I think that's that's a fair point. Certainly, um, I I think I've. I mean, at this point, like it's. I mean, it's not like I've been writing for twenty, thirty years. Uh, wait, I have been writing for twenty years. God damn it! Just not thirty. Yeah, and just not well either, because like I started writing when I was you were like, like ten. The house is red when you were ten. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> But, in script. <laughs> but there's something to be said for that, for being so bad at writing for so long. One of the things I say to my students when, because they'll come to office hours and they'll be like, we'll talk about writing. And, you know, sometimes, especially if they're creative writers, I'll, I'll tell them about my work and like stories I've written or whatever. And a lot of them are really impressed. They're like, oh, my God, like, you're such a good writer and blah, blah, blah. And my reaction very genuinely is always, what, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm not that, that good. And they're like, no, compared to me, blah, blah, blah. And the answer I always give them, and it's, it's really the most genuine answer I can, that, is that the only reason why I might be any better than you at writing, whatever that means, is because I've been failing at it longer than you have. Yeah. And I, 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 I re- that's exactly true of music. Too. I and I really, but I really do feel that, and I think the fact that I've I felt that and I've gone through it that like I wasn't like a writing prodigy when I was you know an undergrad. Like some people, they get out of college and they start publishing books. That happens. It's rare, but it does happen. Yeah. I've had to struggle through it and figure out like, yeah, what's the wrong way to write a book? Like that's not easy to do. Write a bad book and then be able to say like, okay, well, how do I do this well now? Well, that's the best way to do it. It's it might be for I think sure. So. Yeah, I think it. I think it's a great way to do it. But a lot of people give up at that point for I more mean, than fair reasons. But I mean, that's the whole point, though, right? That's what makes it unique and special. Is that yeah. not a lot of people have the nerve to push well, into Kurt, that kind of. Well, Kurt Vonnegut, he, Kurt he, Vonnegut. he didn't publish his first novel until he was at least thirty, I think. Like, it just didn't happen. But also, like on the Kurt Vonnegut angle, he he as we were saying is just not afraid to like admit the bad in the world and like look yeah. at it nakedly and but I, like, I, and that's, I, that's part of the equation yeah and i think going through like the shit that he went through and just going through life shit in general and being able to still write about it and reflect about uh, like reflect upon it i i think i'm at that point where i where i do that and and so to the would you rather that's why I say, like, not as a cop-out, like, that I really don't care. So I'd rather do whichever option just makes me produce the best work. So in that sense, it would probably be the one where I'm famous after. Because, again, you know, yeah, sure, I would love to be famous now just in the sense that, like, that would be really cool if more people read my book. And, you know, I, I would love to talk to people about my work and that sort of thing. So that would be cool. But 
that is a bit selfish in, in, in certain senses. So, I, you know, ultimately, like, if I had to choose in the case of a would you rather like this, I'd rather it be famous and, you know, ideally, like, help people, like, Von, as per Vonnegut, like, realize things and open their perspectives after them. Change their perspectives. Yeah. And see things from new angles. Yeah. Although I could see the added responsibility of being famous as, like, something that gives you more meaning. That's, I mean, that's a fair point to too, know to that balance. you're actually yeah. going to be writing not to an imaginary right. possible yeah. audience, but you know, like when it gets published, yeah. that a million books are being sold. Right. I don't yeah. know if, if that's a normal number of books to be sold. It depends well, it's on not, who it's not you're just selling that to. Level yeah, of sure. famous. It's, Deepak it's, Chopra, yeah. probably. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I guess I guess I should point out you're like a Mark Twain type in this situation where. Like you're even while you're alive, they're like, oh yeah, you're going to be famous for a long, long time. So it it might impact your writing positively. I don't want that kind of ego game going on. Well, I'd rather well, be famous. I, I don't care. Right. Like yeah. Luke said, you might see yourself as having a more timeless audience, so you create something different or better or more. Oh, so timeless. Whereas so, opposed to just writing for your audience at the here and now. For me, not I think just size, is most but special when when the writer seems to be to be just not not even projecting themselves on into the writing so much as just like being a mirror to reflect reality well and as per that point that's something else i've realized about writing is that my favorite authors really the word that comes to mind when i read their work is genuine yeah yeah you have and, to be a and, really and good writing is it's just a little too honest and i think you yep. can sense and, and, and that makes you and as a reader reader really good writing often makes you uncomfortable yeah. right and that's a yeah. good thing because that's challenging what you, you feel think. like as you read a sentence if you're reading something pleasant you're like i'm sitting in bed reading yeah. a book yeah going to go i could have just sit. watched porn and gotten then, that same feeling like <laughs> no, isn't that so weird eats... though how that happens like really good stage craft like a really good play will make you feel uncomfortable but so will really bad like improv but everything in between oh, is kind of yeah, mediocre yeah. and takes up yeah. your time but just that yeah. feeling of discomfort it has to be either really I think the really good or shit is when you when you realize the humanity of what you're like you you know instead ah. of it being like a thing you know yeah so like in in like a, a book when the author says something like brutally honest about life or something yeah it feels like you went from reading a book to somebody just came out of the book and whispered in your ear yeah you're going to die you know <laughs> and then you're just like oh and you oh, go to shit bed. i forgot about that for a minute because i was trying <laughs> yeah. to enjoy a book Thanks. exactly yeah. Yeah. yeah but that's like I'm, I'm working on a book now and and as per that example like i got up to this this one chapter like share and subscribe <laughs> <laughs> and as I'm writing it, I like I, it's it, it it was difficult for me to write because it was uncomfortable for me to write because it's such a terrible like what happens uncomfortable to see in reality written out. Yeah, yeah. And, and like to do that is hard. Like that's hard to do. Easier but, to pretend it's a thought that doesn't come up. Exactly. And when you write it down, you make it more real. And you make the reader know it's coming. Yeah. And then you make the reader have to deal Wait, with it like the characters. Are. I mean, ideally, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Johnny's. I, I think. Wait, can I ask a question? Careful yeah. with the genie question. Yeah, we, I think we're we're wearing down the genie. This is. I've been waiting wait, for this. Wait, this is actually a new technique. Yeah. Joe and I just get really philosophical and make the genie go to sleep, and then we don't have to choose. <laughs> we found a genie loophole. <laughs> we just send him to like 1947 or something, and he'll be confused. Like. I mean, that's that's how Prometheus did it, right? Didn't he get Zeus to fall asleep or something? Gave us all fire. Is that how it happened? I don't really remember too clearly. I was kind of drunk at the time, but... (laughs) As a genie? 
Yeah, I was. Yeah, there. you go through like twenty year drunk periods as a genie, right? No, honestly, I haven't eaten today. You were pretty <laughs> close to the maybe I just woke up and wrote this on a notepad, post-it yeah. note before, right before, because I've I've only had one beer, but it's oh, imperial I've had like three. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm uh, I'm 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 feeling good. Well, right can now. I ask you a question? What would you choose as a genie? Uh. Well, see, because I would, I, I kind of want both. Like, I like the idea of. Of course, because you're a genie. Of yeah. course, you want both and realities you can live both. simultaneously. Yeah. yeah. I, I'll honestly admit, I would love just being like some cool old dude, and people would be like, "You're wonderful." Like uh, this book, yeah, you but wrote you can do amazing, that And now I'm going back to all your other stuff. This is, like you were talking about, like people to just talk about it with, or and I'm not yeah. even a writer, but like look at George Martin. He went from this like fat tur- nerd obsessed with turtles and sci-fi and incest. Probably not that popular of a concept in the 90s when he got that into right. it. But yeah. now he's this icon and people dress up like his characters and, you know, want to talk to him and be near him. And like, so, so yeah. for him, uh, yeah, no wonder experience that. No wonder he's in no rush to finish the novels. Right. Also. Why would you wrap yeah. that up? He's got other things. Right. But if he knew, he, like, you only have a year left, this is like how you finish yeah. the series is how you're going to be remembered, right. not how you started it. I would wonder so, what he would so, choose. So can I? Can I? And and I say this like, as you know, per the point, genuinely. Like, can I just choose the? I I, I mean, I guess instinctually, I would choose the option where I'm famous, more famous after, so that doesn't dilute things. But I honestly rather choose what makes the 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 better work that more people will eventually be like, you know, even like Vonnegut now, like he's dead, but people, you what? know. Hopefully, Vonnegut's <laughs> dead. People read his work and they appreciate it and they get something out of it. So I'd rather choose whatever option elicits that, you know, more reaction. But I, I see what you're saying where, like, yeah, that is kind of cool to be able to be somebody who, you know, you can have a conversation with. But I feel like even now, like, stuff I've written, like, people will talk to me about it. So, like, that's enough for me now is, like, even, like, people who I just know who read my work. Like, I had a conversation with a coworker the other day about... Um, a, a book of mine and she was just like talking about it. she's like yeah I really like this and blah 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 and I'm like that's that's cool that's good enough like yeah. I, I, I don't need like a cult follow I, I mean that would be great like if more people were into it eventually but I, I don't need that to keep writing you know well the thing is once motivation. you make your choice I'm wiping your memory of the choice <laughs> and what's gonna happen <laughs> that's so true. you, that's, you don't know you're gonna life. die in a year you're gonna be like wow I've really yeah. blown up in the last two months like I yeah. wonder what you might be like I wonder let me plan my career out you know I'm gonna start working on a screenplay yeah. the, Isn't the that next sort of like the and then you're dead before question, you produce though? anything else it's Can like I, would you rather get in the tank where you d- design your perfect life or would you rather just not get in the mm. tank right and like to get in the tank would be to not know you're in a tank, but to know you've you are well, you now going to know, live out the well, rest you of your life know, in this designed perfect life. Can I you don't can know I still in beer? either case? You have to pick one, and you don't know in either case. Yeah. But the the tank part is death. So it's a wait, but the the first one I'm not famous after I die. One, you're I forget which one I asked first, but one you're you're famous. You're famous either way. It's yeah. just when you become famous. Yeah. You become it's famous before you become or famous after. after or before you die. I see what you're saying. I, I would say um I mean I would be okay becoming famous before I die because I would say it would make me die in a more like like But what you're most way. known for is those yeah. last two years. So you have a year of you doing work and then all of a sudden at the end of that year you start blowing up and then you're dead at the end of the next year. So Yeah, but that's that's fine what because do you the think? backlog people will be. Oh, into. I know what I would do. I would purposely write really shitty material that way I could use <laughs> You this can't to though, because you don't you don't know. Oh I don't know. Yeah. You wipe your mind. Yeah. No, you don't know. You're just like, wow, I've really gotten famous in the last couple of months. Like I'm gonna have a great next ten years. Where's he going? We're almost done. What are you doing? <laughs> 
We're, we're like finished. That was it. That was the end of it. We're going to wrap it. Where's he going? What the fuck? I got a pee break. I've been drinking coffee and coffee beer for two hours. All right, Johnny, let's, let's round it off. I mean, I think we know what we're going to pick for the Would You Rather. Um, let's round it off with uh, uh, Vonnegut in some way. So We did that while you were, pee- while you were peeing. Oh, you did? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Let's, let's, let's wrap it up again. I was thinking, actually, on the topic of peeing, I was thinking about podcasts. Like, Why don't you guys keep a, a Gatorade bottle well, in there? Well, so I was wondering about that. So, um, <laughs> you know, a lot of the long podcasts, like, people go, like, two to three hours without peeing, and it's so mysterious to me coming from our context but like I realized like we're drinking beer as we podcast so like mm. that's such a factor in terms of like having to pee yeah um is there I'm a still... way we can like game the system so that like we can have equal podcast rights even though we're drinking beer I don't think that's how you phrase that I don't think it's a rights issue but uh I would just say get a fucking bucket and pee in it. You uh there's a comedian who always does it, Ari Shafir. He always oh, pees he on always podcasts. Pees in bottles. Yeah. Like on camera on podcasts. Like, yeah. what are you doing? We're fucking live streaming. Let's go in the bathroom. He goes, No, I don't want to miss anything. <laughs> I mean it's but, totally acceptable to go to a bathroom, but um it's so annoying and I feel like if it is kind of like nice device, though, you could just hook up to yourself when you it is know it you is nice though, because it breaks the conversational flow. You know, now me and you are trying to to talk about something, <laughs> whereas we wouldn't have had to do I think this. We're before. talking about pee, buddy. <laughs> and then when Joe comes in, it's gonna go like now. It's in a totally different direction than it would have been if he didn't. Leave. So it is kind of good, right? But also, well, I don't want to hear the splatter. I don't want to hear that slowly raising pitch of the bottle filling with piss. But you know Johnny, what direction? <laughs> oh yeah, that's a gross sound. But Johnny, what direction the would top. the podcast have gone in if Joe was sitting here with his dick out peeing, and then I'm just trying to talk to you while he's peeing, yeah, or he's trying point. to talk to you while he's peeing? Like all the scenarios are are kind of bad. What I miss? We were trying to uh, just kind of like talk, give the listeners an idea of how much of a struggle it is to do a podcast while drinking beer. We could do like a very brief drunk tank if you, you want to do like. 10 minutes of um, like do like a 20 minute drunk, drunk tank, tank or something material. yeah you yeah. know for for patreon subscribers cool. or just, loyal. Give me, just give me one second <laughs> he's chugging <laughs> he's a beer oh beer. he's getting ready he oh uh, uh, yep that's yeah. breakfast he chugged, he chugged a breakfast that's thunk tank yeah. breakfast because thunk rise is noon that's just i thunk immediately rise regret noon. my that's, decision <laughs> that's <laughs> been established all right i think we should go into a, a, a drunk tank Ooh, yeah i forgot I this is an eight and a half percent stout yeah i'm ready i'm there guys yeah we have one so more folks, beer so uh, drunk tank is a spontaneous event where if we're feeling happy at the end of a regular episode and i'm we're feeling keep happy recording it's, for 10 20 not, 30 40 yeah it's minutes. not even three o'clock we're still in in drunk Sun's morning out a thunk morning. Oh, fuck. It's working. <laughs> Sun's out. Gun's out. Um, All right. So let's wrap this shit up. Yeah. Get How raging. do we wrap it up? Do we just cut and keep talking? Do we have to actually stop recording? Or well, can wait. We just... Did you actually we... pick? You guys didn't actually pick your would you rather. Just give me a before. Or I guess we oh, explored it. You I would don't choose after. Pick. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I'm going to state for the record, I'd rather choose what most people would get the most out of my work from. Um, right, well, let me let me. You have to, to choose then. one. No, no, no. Yeah. But I, I, I'm saying that to preface the fact that I know I have to choose one. But what were you saying, Johnny? So, either you die before, or well, let's say you're sitting and doing a podcast, and I knew oh, he was going to do that. Fuck. I knew he was going to do Wait, that. So somehow, even though I, I knew going to this episode, we got to we got to keep an eye on him hanging. We'll get up him on for us. junk tank though. All right. How? 
Let's we're, plan it right now because he won't hear this. We'll until, do we'll like, we'll do later. the the Reddit thing where you're like okay. We're just randomly, okay. randomly. You'll be like, oh my god, Johnny. How like, many minutes in? Like, because uh, we're on camera too, so he can see us. So. Oh shit. Okay. Not right now. I mean. <laughs> Uh, like, general. I don't know, 20 minutes. All right, so after, we'll do like a 20 minute drunk after tank. After about 20 yeah. minutes. Yeah. So, folks, we're going to go into the drunk tank for 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I got them again. I always get those fuckers. Um, they always, I think it's partly their fault for ending the show on my segment. Uh, but yeah, they, they, they fucked up again. So, I hung up on them. They're definitely cursing and upset right now. Uh, but. You know we're gonna we're gonna do some more serious podcasts like this one. I hope it wasn't too heavy or esoteric. People that either don't like, don't know Vonnegut, don't care, don't worry. We're doing a drunk tank that will uh, be more the silly speed of some of our more recent episodes, eight and nine, whatnot. So this year we're gonna do some guest-driven episodes, some you know more thematic, serious ones like this week's. Uh, excuse me, and uh, also silly, silly bullshit ones still, too. So, yeah, check it out. Uh, maybe we can even put something at the beginning of the episode to let you know if this is going to be a deep one, a serious one, a thinker, a stinker, a joker, a toker. I forgot how the song goes. Um, but, yeah, so thanks for coming along. Uh, I hope it wasn't too thunky. hope it wasn't too drunky. And... Um, Thanks for wasting your time listening to us instead of all the many choices out there. And, um, yeah. So thanks again, and peace, bitches. See you soon. Uh, like, share, subscribe, and give us some feedback. If we missed anything about Vonnegut or got anything wrong, specifically this episode, we would like some fact-checking. I'm sure there's people with PhDs in this motherfucker. So, um, yeah, it's a community. takes a village. Let's all work together to learn interesting shit and have fun. Peace, bitches.